This episode of Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Sign up for a free 14-day trial, including a free download of your first book just for trying out their service. Some of the available titles include Trash by Andy Mulligan, Jupiter 5 by Arthur C. Clarke, and A Faint Cold Fear by Karen Slaughter. So after you finish listening to BITD, why don't you go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark and get your free audiobook today. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Come inside. Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirl as the canned music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking of film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch. Because we all feel better, better in the dark. dark. Oh, I have a feeling Patricia would beat up the ghost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is my house, and you ain't There's nothing to fear. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ghost wouldn't dare come in this house. <laughs> Patricia, you are not bringing down my property values. I'm sitting across from this guy, and I'm reading Jonathan Strait, Mr. Yeah, oh, yeah, Norris. Yeah. And there's a guy across from me, Hispanic guy, and he's got his earphones on, and he's listening to his MP3. After about 15, 20 minutes, Cause they tapped me on my knee politely, and I said, "Yeah." He said, "No, man." He said, "I'm sorry to disturb you." He said, "I just want to ask you something." He said, "You gonna read that whole big book?" (laughs) (laughs) And of course, the big speech, which now I guess has become a Matt Smith thing. Every three episodes, he gets to have the big speech where he tells the alien, "Piss off, or I'm gonna fuck up your day." Academy Award winner Helen Mirren, and she ain't taking your shit. There is a long history of animosity between those two countries. In fact, it was funny that when. World War II started breaking out. The first thing the Russians did was, let's invade Finland. <laughs> you know, let's screw that guy over there, Jeremy. Let's mess with Finland. <laughs> and they say, I don't know, but Hitler's the enemy. No, 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 Finland! Finland! <laughs> okay, well, we'll be Finland. I imagine Jeff Blow sitting around in a wizard uniform somewhere going like, I am the king of Hollywood! Bow <laughs> down no, no, to me! Terry Crews takes a missile and submits to Lloyd. Hail Caesar is the coolest guy ever. He arms it and then Hail Caesar says, well, what you want me to do with it? And Stallone says, what do you think? Throw it. And he throws <laughs> the missile at the helicopter. Mr. Lint had a vintage That's car. Right. And he had a Learjet. But the whole point of this scene is just to see Stella Stevens fall in the mud. has a station <laughs> wagon in a station wagon is. And until we get back in touch with you. Go watch that movie. Right, Devin? Go watch that movie. <laughs> Hello, Tom and Derek. This is Kelly Logue from Juneau, Alaska. Just wanted to congratulate you on your upcoming 100th episode. I first discovered your show when Tom guest starred on Views from the Long Box. Uh, Michael Bailey's excellent podcast. I believe uh, Tom was talking about Hal Jordan on that episode. Glad I discovered your show. Uh, I've loved it ever since. Hope you guys do another TV Detective episode. That's my favorite episode after the after the Doctor Who ones. 
But then I really do love uh, Doctor Who to the point where I believe he has a restraining order against me. Anyway, uh, here's to a hundred more. Cheers. Now here is where, if I was a clever person, I would put a clip from the very first show. We were greeting everybody for that very first time, and we were still a part of Sci-Fi Fan Radio. But you are a clever person, so why didn't you do it? Just because I'm so busy ripping up carpet. But that's for, for here, here or there. <laughs> that, so then why even mention it? <laughs> because that's usually what people do when they do an anniversary show like this. And in case you're wondering, this is Better in the Dark, and this is a very, very important episode. Yep, this is finally the episode that we've been talking about for months now, and it's finally here. This is, indeed, the 100th episode of Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas DJ. And my brother from another mother, Mr. Derek Ferguson. It's been a long, strange trip. Five, Five years. years, 100 episodes. Only one break, which is something I'm very proud of. Most of the time, if you look at a lot of these podcasts, they'll have long periods where they go between episodes. Right. With the exception of that one month in August that we decided to take off to prepare for the switchover. From, right. From to earth he, Right, when we were with the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> And, we shall not be named. And we only had that one break. And we've pretty much been consistent with our Every two uh, week. yeah, bi weekly schedule. Yeah. So Which is of course always good for branding. Yeah. As Tom was informing me, because you know me, I don't stay up on this yeah. stuff, folks. I just figured that there were other podcasts that were out there that it lasted this mm-hmm. long. And Tom said as far as he knows. There are some, but there's many a couple don't make it. But a lot of them don't make it. No. So we are, I think pardonably proud of mm-hmm. this accomplishment that right. we did, especially since, for those of you that don't know the history and background of Better in the Dark, this was only supposed to be six lousy yeah. episodes at, at the start. We, yeah, originally this was just to once again rehash the story very briefly, this was something that a friend of mine who had started his own internet radio station, right. had wanted original programming, came to me and said, Tom, do you have original programming? We were exploring doing some radio drama, but there was some stuff I wanted to do right away, so that he had something to put out right then and there. Right. And one of them was a movie program. Movie theme program. And Tom said, well, I know this ass who I could sucker into doing this. And he called me up and he said, listen, here's the situation. You want to be down with me on this? And I said, sure, why not? It sounds like fun. Let's go ahead and do it. So we did the six episodes. Right. The guy punked out at us. I don't even think we even broadcast the second episode. Did we even do the first? Yeah, we recorded six episodes for him over the course of a Super Bowl Sunday and a Friday. Right. The first right. Friday get-together. And like a good soldier, because we were supposed to come out every two weeks, I edited everything and sent it off to him. He only broadcast the first episode. So here was me and Tom with these five episodes that we had put all this work into and we didn't know what to do with it. So we said, well, what the hell? Let's put them out there ourselves. Right. What do we do that for? Because for some reason, you guys out there thought that we knew what we were doing. And on some level, we're attention whores. <laughs> we just came up with a name. We just kept on going, and we figured we'd do it for a while, and then we'd go on other things, right. and we do it. Five years later, we have the Better in the Dark fan site, started by... Kelly uh, Loge. Kelly Loge, up in Alaska, no less. Right. We've got a message board... Run by Eric Froh. It run by Eric Froh. We have our own Doc Severinsen. Yes, in... Or uh, The Roots, or <laughs> putting your favorite music... Jimmy Vivino, putting your favorite musical director for a talk show here. Our musical director... Kaylin Conley, who has been doing individualized theme songs yeah. for all the episodes leading up to 100. So this has grown from just a simple two-man operation mm-hmm. to we've got a whole staff. Right. <laughs> you know. We've got an army. 
Yes, and of course we've got you good people out yes. there, which is why this hundredth episode is going to be a little bit differently, and it's going to be an experiment because for the first time, and keep your fingers yes. crossed, folks, we're going to have you calling in. Tom has already got his Skype up. Yeah, and because I figured, what I'm going to be doing is when we're talking to a call in I will then turn around and let the next one know that they're about to be up. Yeah, so that's what we're going to do for, I guess, it's going to be the next two hours. Is this well, we will see well, we're what not happens. Gonna, okay, well, well, we also have some listener mail. We've got some other fun stuff to talk about. I'll tell you one thing we're not going to be doing. With this thing ain't going to go over five, six hours. No, 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 That's a reference that some of you won't get. Email me, and I'll tell you what it's about. But, yeah, but that's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of hours. We are going to be talking to some of you out there, hopefully, and mm-hmm. everything will go smoothly, and this will be a lot of fun. Right. So, first of all, what are we going to do? We're going to get to okay. the Okay, well, we're first. still just letting Ian know that we're going to be talking to him in a few minutes. It's oh. going to be our first. A, a person who will be familiar to a lot of fans of Better and Dark, because one of the things I love about this show in the five years, we've gained a mythology. We did, We have? Yeah. We've gained a mythology? I'm a myth. We're both myths. Stuff like uh, the fact that well, you, people, I can see why you would be a myth. <laughs> uh, the fact that like there are people who refer to who the beautiful one now. Yeah, who yeah. talk about how you can love your characters, but you can't yeah, love your characters. characters. And of course, there are recurring characters like Mr. Ian Wilson. Mm-hmm. Who will be joining us in a minute But first I wanted to read off a letter From someone we were going to be calling And something unfortunately came up But he did leave us this letter This is our good friend Samurai Of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema Okay He was supposed to be a calling guest But something happened He said Hello distinguished gentlemen Congratulations on reaching this amazing milestone of 100 episodes People who don't podcast really don't know how simply amazing a feat this is actually. It takes a lot of dedication and love to get to this milestone, but when I think of Better in the Dark, dedication and love are the first words that come to mind. I'll be honest, I found your show after Tom contacted us. I didn't know what to expect. I also didn't know it would become one of my favorite shows on the internet. The way you guys break stuff down is quite amazing, and as a fan of writers myself, I love that you guys take that angle often when discussing the story elements of a film, or a franchise. As a film fan, my favorite episodes you guys do are the Director's Court episodes. I know there is a massive amount of preparation involved in these episodes, and I find these to be my favorite outside of the franchise episodes. The chemistry you guys have shows a general affection, not only for film and media, but each other. I find this to be the missing link in so many podcasts out there. I can think of no other two gentlemen that deserve the 100 episode of awesomeness you have achieved. Will and I look forward to doing something together at some point and keep on trucking, guys. I am listening till you stop. With respect and praise, Sammy. Okay. And we, in the past, have said this, but if you're not listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, you really should. They're available at ggtmc.lipson.com. Mm-hmm. Well, we are doing a kind of semi-crossover sometime in the next couple of months where we have to review two films that they choose for us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we lost the bet. Yes. <laughs> we lost the infamous bet. I blame you. Yes. Which is why I'm, I'm a little bit worried. Now, granted, we are recording this on December 3rd. You're not going to hear this till February. But 
I'm a little tiny bit worried about this Monday's tilt against the team from New England. Okay. The Sinister Sweatshirt and Bruce Whitless. Okay. <laughs> well, he was Johnny Depp because he had that stupid haircut that made him look like Johnny Depp's retarded younger brother. I'll take your word for it. But now he shaved his hair off because he wants to show that he's ready to rumble with the Jets. He's so now tough. he's Bruce Whitless. He's a tough guy. Okay. Yeah. I'm tough. Woo! But I'm worried because the only two losses the Jets have had this year have been after they've had a rest. They lost to the Packers, which is the game we're referring to, after they had their bye week. So they had two weeks off. And they lost to the Ravens because it was their first game and they had a rest between the preseason game and the first of the season games. Okay. So I'm a little bit worried because they've had ten days of rest since Thanksgiving. But... I'm hoping Which that... Which makes him a little bit lazy. Exactly. I'm assuming, okay. But I'm hoping that Rex rips him to shape, because if we do this, if we beat them in their home game, we break their 28-game win streak at home, we lock the tiebreaker, which means that we get the division if it comes down to the same record, and we get the first bye. Oh, okay. We get the first seed, which means we are guaranteed home field advantage. Oh, okay. Throughout the playoffs, so I'm stoked. But anyway... So we're pumped for that. Okay, that's good. But we don't want to talk about football. This is not a football podcast. It's a movie podcast. Yeah, but it wouldn't be better in the dark if you didn't talk about your beloved football. <laughs> and Kristen Bell. Minutes. And Kristen Bell and all and that. And all that. And DMC Underground. But first, we are going to start talking to you, the listeners. Okay, so we're finished with the mail. We are finished with the mail. Okay. Well, we might come back to it if we don't find anybody after we get to our usual folks. Alrighty. Okay, but first, let's talk... Two, Ian Wilson. Let's get him on the Skypey thing. Okay. Modern technology. It's dun, wonderful. Dun, 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 dun. Where are you, Ian? That sound that you hear is us contacting Ian Wilson. Hello. There you are! Ian, how are you, sir? I am stunned. I am speaking <laughs> to the hosts of Better in the Dark. And rightly so, you should be stunned, sir. <laughs> be afraid. Be very afraid, Mr. Wilson. Consider your... I've been helping. Wait, wait, where's my cat? Good evening, There's Mr. Wilson. Um, between us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm safe. Ian, otherwise known as our frenemy from formerly frenemy. of For Your Ears Only, and you have a new podcast coming up, which I want you to pimp for a second. That's right. Uh, by the time this goes out, I will have installed myself as the co-host of the new Blake 7 podcast, uh, which is shared between Earth2.net and a British geek site called Geek Planet Online, okay. and the name of that podcast is Shake and Blake. Now, I'm actually a Blake 7 fan, although I always thought it should have been called the Avon 7, because <laughs> I love Paul, I love the fact that everybody was all freaked out, and I would be like, I hate you all, you all suck. <laughs> Well, Blake was actually, what, in only like the first season or the first two seasons or what? The thing is, the way we're doing it is very much, we, we pretty much ate the style of Bigger on the Inside. So I've been brought on as someone who doesn't actually know very much about Blake 7, whereas my co-host is the expert. However, having done a bit of reading into it, Avon is the guy who pretty much stays throughout yeah. the series, whereas Blake's only really in the first half of the show. Yeah, then he kind of disappears and is believed dead, but he comes back. He comes back in the last episode, yeah. I think. Well, when you're episodes. done with this trip, Ian, you and I should have a conversation, because I have a theory about what happens in that last episode, which we will not go into. Be happy, sir. You said you want to talk about the, for your ears only, Guilt Edge Bond situation. Well, I had an option. It's either yeah. we can butt heads. <laughs> um, 
slightly because not only have we got a few bond issues to clear mm-hmm. up, but then you also called me out on the last episode about my feelings on uh, Speed Racer. Uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, Derek, you should take a point on that. <laughs> wow, what happened now? He did not like Speed Racer very much. In fact, he didn't like Speed Racer's intestines very much. Why didn't you like Speed Racer, you? What was wrong with it? One word. What? Spursal or Spritzel. Oh, Spritzel? Yeah. Well, let me ask you something. You didn't grow up watching cartoon, right? No. Okay, people who didn't grow up watching Speed Racer, I give them a pass. Right. Because you don't get the whole vibe of what the show is supposed to be about. If, like me, you grew up watching right. it, and you ran home from school to catch Speed Racer, then you understand why I love it so much, because they nailed the cartoon perfectly, the whole tone and style. For better or for worse, Spritle and Chim Chim right. were a part of that. And if there's one thing that I really, and you and I have talked about this after you lent me the movie, Derek, mm-hmm. the one thing that I really appreciated is that the Wachowskis really really took pains to get the look and the feel of the cartoon exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I've seen the movie about a dozen yeah. times, and I expect to wear out my DVD. There's only two things I had problems with, the poop-throwing gag and that weird bit of swearing out of nowhere. I certainly take what Derek says. I mean, quite a lot of, in fact, pretty much every review I do for FT is something where I don't really know the source material. Right. I'm just judging the film as a film. As you say, I've not watched Speed Racer. I don't really read comics. So every time I put out a comic relief, it is really just based on what I know of the film, maybe what Wikipedia tells me of the characters. I haven't even really read the Ian Fleming Bond novels either. Mm-hmm. So again, I am just taking them as Dracolian swordsman's vision. And you call call yourself an Englishman. But on the other hand, he and all of us, we all came to the same conclusion, i.e. that Timothy Dalton's Bond rocked hard. Oh, yeah. Timothy Dalton is the best James Bond. (laughs) Like, you're going to expect... You know he's on Chuck, by the way. Who? Timothy Dalton? Timothy Dalton. Now, see, that may get me to watch it. He's playing the main villain. I have heard that, but it's very interesting that after the Bond films, Timothy Dalton was relatively quiet. He did The Rocketeer, which I'm quite a fan of. But anyway, the 90s were quite a fallow period, technically, and then he kind of resurfaced. This past decade, he had a great supporting role in Hot Fuzz. Right, playing the guy who looks like Timothy Dalton, if I remember correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's an easy part to play. (laughs) Yeah, he's been studying for it all his life. Yeah, and then, of course, he showed up at the tail end of the uh, Tenth Doctors. Yes, uh, yeah. Which left me drooling, and mm-hmm. I was, oh my god, oh, Timothy Dalton as a time lord, oh so, my god. in the four minutes we have left, you said yes. you had, there were other issues you had with us about the Guilt Edge Bonds for your ears only rivalry. <laughs> I think you're overplaying this slightly, I just said. <laughs> yes, I think, yeah. Uh, well, you'll notice I, I have not used I, these I, I, I agree with you 100% on that, Ian. You'll <laughs> notice I have not used the name that we referred uh, to. We referred to uh, Derek, Derek, Derek put a kibosh on this <laughs> in our correspondence. What I say to us, we can either just clear up once and for all in this one period where we have direct face-to-face time, just yeah. as our issues are with con franchise. Or I could speak about the only thing I'm confident I actually know about film more so than you two gentlemen, which is the Carry On franchise, a series of British films. But if it's only for maybe three minutes now, perhaps yes. that's that's safe for another day. But with regards to the Bond film, I think the main bone of contention was our feelings towards A View to a Kill 
and the quantum of solace rather than boredom. Yeah. Me and Tom, most people have most strenuously disagreed with our assessment of quantum of solace. And let me say this. It's not that I don't think Quantum of Solace is a bad movie. If it was about a spy named Joe Neckbone, I think it was a pretty good movie. I just don't think that Quantum of Solace qualifies as an authentic James Bond movie. I'm sorry. It's a strange beast, this Quantum of Solace, is because it is one of those few films that you could call a direct sequel. Granted, you could probably say that with Diamonds Are Forever, with Bond's kind of vendetta against Blofeld. True. Theoretically, the two Craig films are kind of like one bigger film. That's not meant as an excuse for Quantum of Solace not being great as its own standalone film. There were good moments in Quantum of Solace, but I think it very much relies on the greatness of the previous film. Don't get me wrong, there are moments in Quantum of Solace that I do like. And of course I like the actress, I can't think of her name right now, that played Strawberry Fields. Jennifer, Jennifer Atherton, who seemed to be the only person to realize that she was in a James Bond movie. And it was amazing how, you're telling me that in Prince of Persia, she was totally non-existent. I didn't even realize it was the same girl, really. Because it's like she was so full of life in that yeah, film. Yeah, she, she was rocking and rolling in that one, but what can I say? Can I just say, with regards to A View to a Kill... Yes, um, sure. go ahead. <laughs> I'm not praising it to the rafters, because there are plenty of things wrong with it. Obviously, being Adam's favourite bit is uh, Roger Moore's age. But, I don't know, for us, Moonraker is, to us, what a view to Achilles to you, yeah. essentially. Mm. Well, I guess it's just kind of like comparing swallowing arsenic with swallowing <laughs> curare. But if I had my choice, if you put a gun to my head and said, which yeah. one do you want to watch? I'd probably watch Moonraker yeah. over a view to Achilles. At least Moonraker, you, I could sit back there, it's got that great Shirley Bassey theme song, yeah. at least. And it does have its goofy moments that I could sit and enjoy just the goofy moments. But yeah, I'd rather watch that than A View right. to a Kill. To me, A View to a Kill is unwatchable. <laughs> well, we'll have to agree to disagree. All right. I know that you have a train to catch, Ian, but thank you very much for being the first. Call in just, and have pleasure. yourself a great day. Thank you. And oh. safe to you, gentlemen. Okay, Ian, we'll be in touch. It's on the 100 episodes. <laughs> thank you. That's take, take care. We'll talk to you soon. Cheerio. He said cheerio. He said cheerio because he's English. I can still hear you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we go on to our next guest, I do want to remind people, since we should have done this at the top of the hour, this episode of Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Sign up for a free 14-day trial, including a free download of your first book just for trying out their services. I have done as I always do, set up some suggestions that you might be able to download for your 14-day free trial. Figure out what the unifying theory is here. The next 100 years, a forecast for the 21st century by George Friedman. Easy American idioms, hundreds of idiomatic expressions to give you an edge in English by living language. And finally, 100 Great Businesses and the Minds Behind Them by Emily Ross and Angus Holland. And, of course, the theme between them is 100. Exactly, because this is a 100th episode. Yay! So, ladies and gentlemen... If you want to try out this great service, just go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark today. Audible.com. Okay, who's next? I don't know. You tell me. I think we should check on this. Yes, let's check our call-in sheet. Let's talk to James Hickson. Okay, James Hickson. James Hickson. Hello. 
Mr. Hickson! H- Hickson! Oh, goodness gracious. Hello, gentlemen. How are you today? Fine. Of course, you know, every time I hear his last name, I think of the old Robin Hitchcock song, Listening to the Hicksons. Oh, God. You just you lost me. how many jokes I got about that when I was a kid. <laughs> you just The reason it comes to my head is I'm such a big Robin Hitchcock fan. But, James... Welcome to the show. So far, nobody has cursed us out. But I'm not looking for them to, because I'm a lovable human being. Uh, yeah. That's right. That's one of us. <laughs> <laughs> All the venom in the world is reserved for Tom. That's why there's a listing in the glossary for Tom's five minutes. Yes. So what's going on, James? Well, first I want to take the chance to congratulate you guys on 100 episodes. Thank you. Thank you very uh, much. fan, you guys have turned me on to lots of different things, so I appreciate that. It took me a while to figure out what I wanted to talk about, as far as my appearance goes. And I decided to just go for broke. I decided to just talk about the first movie of my favorite series of films, The Thin Man. Okay. It's an, Tom, I know Derek has seen this film, so yeah. I talked to him about it, but have you ever seen The Thin Man films? Yes, I have. Okay, just making sure. Let's see. It's a 1934 film starring William Powell and Myrtle Loy, directed by W.S. Van Dyke. They were both cast in a film that Van Dyke did before called Manhattan Melodrama, which has to be the most depressing bromance I've ever seen, because it's about these two guys who grow up together. Both their parents are killed on this boat fire on this... I guess it's this little party boat. Oh, both the parents are killed on the party boat thing. They're both raised by the family's priest. Except one ends up being a gangster, and one ends up being a DA. And of course, the DA has to put away the gangster, and of course, the gangster is sentenced to death, and blah, blah, blah. Melodrama. William Powell, he plays a DA. Yeah, William Powell plays a DA, and Clark Gable. Clark Gable, right, plays a gay, okay, yeah. Case plays the gangster, Blackie. Okay, I've seen this, yeah. But Myrtle Loy plays both of their girlfriends. First, she's Blackie's girlfriend, and then, of course, she's William Powell's character's wife. While they're making the film, W.S. Van Dyke gets the assignment to make an adaptation of Dashiell Hammett's novel, The Thin Man. Of course, Dashiell Hammett, also known for books like, say, The Maltese Falcon. W.S. Van Dyke, he sees the chemistry between Powell and Loy, and he wants to cast both of them as the main characters, Nick Charles and his wife, Nora Charles. Nora Charles, right. Unfortunately, the studio didn't want to cast Myrna Loy, because before this... Both actors weren't really big stars, because Dick Powell was mostly known as the handsome villain type. Right. And Myrna Loy was known as the vamp, the mm-hmm. exotic vamp. I think in a previous film she played Fu Manchu's daughter. Yes, she did. Yep. And Boris Karloff. Well, the drums of Fu Manchu. The drums of Fu Manchu. But when Myrna Loy started out her career in Hollywood, surprisingly enough, because of her exotic look, right. she got a lot of these exotic roles. It's also worth mentioning, too, that even though most people remember William Powell and Myrna Loy as the thin man right. in those movies, they actually made a whole shitload of other movies, yeah. too. I think they made about 20 movies together. This- Relationship between Nick and Nora is supposedly based off a relationship between himself and a writer friend of his. Lillian Hellman, I believe. Yeah, and of course, the writers of the film were a husband and wife team, actually. Albert Hackett and Francis Goodrich, which might explain some of the very natural relationship that Nick and Nora have in this film and the other films as well. Of course, Van Dyke fought to get Loy cast as Noah, and they made the film in two weeks. Actually, they made the film in 12 days. They were given two weeks to make the film, and they made it in 12 days. Which, when you look at films these days, it's inconceivable how that could have been done. But it was released as a B-movie. The studio just kind of chucked it out there, and it became a huge hit. 
And I think most of that is because of the relationship between Nick and Nora, William Powell and Myrtle Loy. Myrtle Loy, by the way, I mean, is a beautiful redhead. Of course, you can't tell it in the films, but... And you know me and redheads. Yeah. <laughs> me as well, sir. Me as well. It's a shame that, according to scientists, redheads are going to be extinct in about five well, generations. Well, I just produced a brand new one seven months ago. Yes! So there you go. Keep the strain going, folks. Keep the strain going. Congratulations. But most people, and actually, they were so successful, and their relationship as a married couple mm-hmm. was so believable, that back then, people actually believed they were married. William Powell related a story one time about how he checked into a hotel, mm-hmm. and they gave him grief because they said, well, where's your wife at? He right. said, well, this is my wife right, right here. Right. And they said, no, that's not Myrna Lloyd. They actually Of course, Mr. Powell, you're... Wife. Yeah, go get your wife. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wig, wig. It should also no, really. That's a joke they make a lot in these movies. Yeah. A little bit of history on Nick and Nora. Nick was a former New York police detective. Mm-hmm. A real down in the gutters of the rest of the everyman guys. And he pound around with gangsters and drunks and bookies. And Nora was a California heiress. It was a very odd couple relationship between the two of them. The first film is Nick's first time back in New York after marrying Nora, because he went off and lived in California in a mansion that Nora's father deeded to her. And they almost immediately get mixed up in a murder case involving an old inventor client of Nick's who's gone missing and his mistress has been killed. And of course, everyone thinks that the inventor killed his mistress. Because she was stealing money from him. Right. The inventor was a tall, thin man. Uh-huh. It's the title character. Another misconception a lot of people had about these films is that William Powell was the thin man in question. Actually, the thin man was Clyde Winant, the suspect from the first film. The title carries over in the other films, first with it being the thin man, then after the thin man, then shadow of the thin man, and eventually it just started applying to William Powell because the uh-huh. popular perception is that Nick Charles was a thin man, even though in Dashiell Hammett's original novel, Nick Charles is a big, fat, sloppy Greek guy. Really? Yeah. It should also be noted that in this movie, the wife of the scientist, her boyfriend is played by Cesar Romero. Also, his daughter, who is the one who gets Nick to look for him, and hopefully prove him innocent, is Marina Sullivan. Right. Matter of fact, there's a lot of famous actors that pop up during the series. In one of them, Jimmy Stewart actually plays the bad guy. He's revealed at the end of the movie to be the killer. That's the second one. I just watched, watched it before I get him in there for you guys. That's After the Thin Man. Mm-hmm. It was made in 1936. Mm-hmm. About two years after this one. Yeah, this one was a huge hit. I think the only reason they didn't make a, me- a sequel to it is the actors had other commitments and they had to figure out a story because Dashiell Hammett didn't write any other novels featuring these characters after The Thin Man. So every story for all the films subsequent were productions of the husband and wife team with help, of course, from... Dashiell Hammett giving input. And I think I'm running out of time, guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're getting backed up here. However, what we're going to do is I'm going to have to keep this promise because I'm making it live. Let's set up something so you come back and we can talk about the whole Thin Man series in Great As a franchise episode. Yeah. Because after all, Jarek and I want to make a lot more episodes about the really old school stuff from the 30s and 40s. 
and these two are classics. Mm-hmm. Just want to do a quick promo. If anybody here, any listeners haven't already, be sure to check out both Derek and Tom's Avengers series over at AlternateDimensions.org. It's some of the best Avengers I've read in a long time. Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you for, for that. that. Much appreciated, sir. And uh, on that note, goodbye, James. Mr. Goodbye. James. I, 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 you know, thank you. Thank you. And I'll probably be talking to you because we talk all the time anyway. Yeah, sure. Okay, buddy. Bye. So, we're back. We took a little break, had a little coffee. And now we're talking to one of the most prolific posters on our message board. He's known as Grubble there. Grubble, Grubble. Grubble, okay. Grubble, 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 Grubble. <laughs> Rhymes with Grubble. Mumble, mumble. <laughs> Jay Shelton. Jay and his Shelton. class. His class. His class is just too kind of... Simple children, two girls. <laughs> but they can't hear you right now because I plugged in the phones. They're just hearing my end of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, hello, class. Say hello. Hi. 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 <laughs> so, okay. Jay wants to talk to you about something that he does a lot in his curriculum. What's that? Trying to turn kids on to classic movies, black and white films. We've talked about this in the past, how it seems that in most people's minds, movies were made in 1981. My prejudice, my movies ended in 1981. <laughs> I call Raging Bull the line that divides sure great film with what we've had since. If you go back to, you've got the Silent Age, Golden Age, heavy hitters every year. You can go from any year. From about 1925, or let's say, let's put it up a little, 35 to about 81. And I could give you easily 7 to 10 great films a year, and you guys probably could too. Since 81, 82, I'm lucky if I can do 15 in total that I consider Mm -hmm. great. And I won't get into that whole reason now. And I think part of it is the kids don't have that maturity in their film viewing. What it was is VCRs, DVDs, cable TV. Suddenly everything was available. You could watch the movie like a thousand times. As you guys know, you talk about WPIX, Channel 9. Mm -hmm. I know those channels too when I grew up. You were forced to watch these classic films. You were forced to watch Evan Costello, Godzilla, Humphrey because that's what was on. Going to the movies was special. A movie was special. You couldn't just see it again and again. Right. And I just showed my kids, we started Color in Art One last week, and I showed them Wizard of Oz, and some of them had never seen it. And I'm thinking, you know, when I was a kid, everybody, even in high school, the week that was on, that one time That was year, a Thanksgiving tradition. Yeah, You're oh, in... I love it. So exciting. It was on CBS, um, right? Uh, yeah, 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 CBS. I don't, I don't remember what channel, but God, that was like the big part of the year for me. So what I do every Thursday in my class is this classic film day, and I'll show a 10 to 15 minute clip. I end up talking the whole period sometimes, so it ends up going into Friday. And it's something that could be from any country, any time period. We talk about why it's important, what, what the genre was, who the director was, actors, and where it fits in film history. We just did 2001 yesterday. Oh, cool. Um, and we watched the monkey scene, and we watched Hal getting his brain taken out scene. But anyway, so I talked to other teachers. They're afraid to show Chaplin classics, so they'll show the movie Chaplin. They're afraid to show the original Little Rascals, they'll show Little Rascals. And I'll say, they go, kids won't watch black and white. I do this with kids. Now, I'm in a really good school now. They're all a bunch of Asians and Indians running around, right? You guys, <laughs> they're smart as hell, so they'll do anything I tell them. But I've been in <laughs> I've been in L.A. schools. I've been in Hillbilly schools in upstate New York. I've been everywhere, and I always get the same reaction. If you have enthusiasm when you're talking about films, if you can explain to the kids what to look for in a black and white film, why black and white is beautiful, why sound is not important, why sound actually hurt film for a few years because that mm-hmm. visual kind of delicacy was gone, you can get them excited about anything. I've got kids watching freaking Potemkin getting excited. Getting well, see, that's the whole thing. Now, see, your take on it is just like mine. One of the most mind-boggling 
emails I ever got was from somebody who read my first movie review mm-hmm. book, Derek Ferguson's movie review book, available oh, at Amazon.com. And through PulpWorksPress.com. Somebody, two copies. <laughs> somebody who emailed me and actually said that I would be more successful as a movie reviewer if I just reviewed color movies because black and white movies aren't real. The world's in color. And I was astounded I would get this from somebody who claimed to be a movie fan. How else are children supposed to get an appreciation for black and white if we don't teach it to them and say, okay, this is a black and white movie. Here's why it's cool. And one of the things I like a lot about black and white film is that because they didn't have color, a lot of these cinematographers and a lot of the directors had to find different ways to convey certain elements. Right. Which I think turned it into a different world, if you will. Right. Well, that's exactly right. And one of the things I tell them, we learn about composition, rule of thirds, we learn about values and textures. And I tell them, like you're saying, how these directors would use those to tell story. You are using the camera to tell story. You're right, because of lack of color, they were forced to think. Well, there's always a guy in a black jacket, white jacket, and a gray jacket, so they can play with depth. And there's so much going on with shadow and light. And if I could only make one move film in my life, I would make a black and white yeah. film. Yeah, one of my favorite directors, a director we keep saying we're going to devote an entire episode to is John Frankenheimer who has always said he hated working in color and would try his best to desaturate every film he made Frankenheimer to me is brilliant and he's a genius and his color films don't do anything for me it's Seven Days in May written by Rod Sterling by the way yeah which I just oh you and I were talking about this film recently yeah which I which I just watched the other day Seven Days in May and I was sitting there riveted and I've seen this not a single shot is fired not a single fist is thrown and yet it's one of the most suspenseful political thrillers ever I've seen this movie maybe eight or nine times and this was the tenth time I've seen it and I'm sitting there just as riveted as I'm watching it for the first time it's just great, and what a great villain for Lancaster is, is in that. Only surpassed in a sweet smell of success. Oh, Lancaster. yeah, yeah. Well, I don't just on the other day, too. Lancaster's character in Seven Days of May is the perfect villain because, of course, he doesn't think he himself doesn't, as he, the villain. He doesn't think he's the villain. He thinks he's the good guy, which is what makes yeah, him yeah. so great. Makes a great villain. Like Magneto, like you say, and other people say, okay, my kids are going, bye, Masa. <laughs> bye, okay. So long, okay. kids. So long, kids. And the other thing about Frankenstein... Have fun storming the castle. Uh, he, he is a great... You know, you've got the 50s, and you've got the new age that started with Bonnie and Clyde. And the person that kind of bridged that to me is Frankenheimer. You're getting these mature films, mature themes that he kind of gets overlooked, and I'm glad you guys talked about it. We are planning on doing that whole episode. Yes, we have. We've been talking him. about it, and we are definitely going to do a Frankenheimer episode. And, Jay, one of the things that Derek and I want to make as an emphasis point for 2011 is mm-hmm. devoting more time to the 30s and 40s, to the black and whites. That's why we're doing the Universal Monster movies, finally. That is my love. Is Universal. I was just telling the kids a story about how when I was five years old, do you have those Aurora models? Oh, God, those? yes, with the glow-in-the-dark pieces. Yeah, so with the... <laughs> five years old, I was building my Wolfman, and kids were playing baseball, and everybody, and I played baseball. Now, yeah. my dad came and smacked me and had to get out there and play baseball. I don't want you to play these models. It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> 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 oh. Yeah, he was 
mad as hell. Anyway, Jay, I think my 10 minutes is yeah, up. Guys. Yes, Jay. Yes. Up. Yes, it goes so quickly, doesn't it? But I want to thank you for being on the show and sharing the Frankenheimer love with us. And I want to thank you guys for doing this podcast. It's, it's great. It's a lot of fun. I feel like I'm part of everything. I think you guys are doing a lot yourself to open the world up to young people. You know, through the Earth2.net, they get a lot of those guys that don't know a lot about old film that maybe because you're part of that network are jumping onto this and maybe they'll learn to broaden their horizons. Because sometimes I listen to some of the things that these younger people say and I want yeah. to shoot myself. Uh, but thanks <laughs> don't so do that, Jay. Don't. <laughs> and if I ever come back to New York, which I do a couple times a year, let's get together and go to the movies sometime. All right, guys? Oh, absolutely. Of course. You know what? It's a date. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, fellas. Okay, Jay. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. So long. Okay, there we go. Okay, that was Jay Shelton. Very good. Definitely a pleasure talking to him. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, keep in mind, we know him because he's on our message boards and is one of the most frequent message board posters along with our friend Ed. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time we've talked to him. Yeah. Next up, who we got next is our first contest winner. Who's that? David Ellis. Oh, Mr. David Ellis. Okay, well, let's get we a hold of him. finally get him on the show. Let's get a hold of him right now. <laughs> Mr. Ellis. One ringy dingy, two ringy dingy, one ringy dingy, two ringy dingy. Mr. Ellis! David Ellis, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I like that David Ellis guy wherever he is. What's going on? Hey, what's happening, guy? How you doing? Oh, not much. Got up early for this, so hope you appreciate it. Uh, what time course. is it where you're at? It's 11.14. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're just, what, one hour behind us then? Yeah. Uh, yeah, central time. Okay, and as we've mentioned, David Ellis was our first contest winner way back when. Yeah, way back in the Stone Age. <laughs> and every time, whenever I post the message for Live Journal, the new episodes, mm-hmm. and you see that little logo, that is that David Ellis' hand. That work. is David Ellis. He is the guy that created the Better Than Golf logo. So it's a double pleasure for us to have, finally have him finally on here. Have him. Yeah, yeah. It's a, probably about as close to immortality as I'll get <laughs> for quite some time. <laughs> but for the poster, I just chose something simple that would actually seem like a logo that you'd see on a movie poster. So I ended up coming up with that. Just And all I used was Microsoft Paint. That was it. Instead of something like Photoshop, I just went with simplicity. Now let me ask you something, David. Something I've been wanting to ask you. I was talking to my wife about it. I right. wanted to ask you about it. Could you maybe hook us up something? Because we've been talking about doing t-shirts. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so yeah. we have to get in touch with you so maybe you can help us with that because I have no idea how to put that logo on a t-shirt. I'm not sure how to do that yeah. either other than something like Cafe Press or I think Lulu.com. Yeah, yeah most people do Cafe Press. Yeah, right, yeah. But they think that Earth2.net has their stuff through Cafe Press. Yeah, for instance, the incontinuity out of continuity, yes. For World's Finest Podcast, yeah. Michael, if you're listening, I still want that Kung Fu Rod Stewart. Kung Fu Rod Stewart. Because every once in a while, David, we'll get somebody that will inquire about a better in the dark coffee mug or a better in the dark baseball cap. We'd like to use your logo on. We've never felt the need to even look for another logo. To me, that's it. Really? I'm yeah. yeah. I am kind of really surprised that, that the logo has stuck around for as long as it has. The best logos are simple. Yeah. It's simple and it says exactly what it is. That was what I was shooting for and I was um, pleasantly surprised that it worked. Mostly what I wanted to talk about, though, for what little time I have left was, as you guys know, the Star Trek episode didn't pan out for me, but I was kind of wanting to talk a little bit about Deep Space Nine because I heard uh, in a few places, like most recently, it was on 
decent long box. I think it was uh, Shag, and I'm not mm-hmm. picking on Shag by any means. What, but, Shag uh, the something that, But he and other people have, have made a comment about Deep Space Nine being completely contrary to what Star Trek is supposed to be about, etc., etc., and I just don't agree with that at all. It's actually my favorite TV show of all time. The reason I think that it's perfectly keeping with Star Trek is okay yeah it's a lot darker and there are a lot shadier characters and they spend like half the series in a war but look at what that station was like before the Starfleet got there as opposed to what it ended up being like afterward for instance once Benjamin Sisko and the rest of Starfleet took over the station it was a mining colony it was a mining station where they used Bajorans as slave labor for if I'm not mistaken Right, and yeah. It was a really dark place, and once the Gardassians moved out, they stripped and or destroyed everything that wasn't nailed down, so that place was a pit when Cisco arrived. And he did some wheeling and dealing, and he managed to make that place into genuinely a home, to the point where people could, could set up shop, it was a place to live, and within a couple of years' time, they actually held a Bajoran festival there, their biggest religious festival, their equivalent of Easter or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that happened in the third season, and it's amazing to me that that took place on the same station, but to me, that just shows that that's perfectly in keeping with uh, what Star Trek is about, is actually trying to make something better. And Cisco's son, uh, Jake, even made the point later on that, yeah, that place was a dump, and then his father made it a home. How can somebody really say that, that that's contrary to what Star Trek is about? To me... That shows the better part of Starfleet a lot better than most of the Star Trek shows where it just has a given ship's fleet there for, they stop by a planet for a cup of coffee and do some kind of quick fix solution. (laughs) So once they think they've accomplished something, they just jet off to the next solar system and they really don't give whatever planet they stop that a second thought. Whatever they put in motion could like fall apart in 10 seconds and they wouldn't know about it. Yeah, well, that was the whole thing to me about Deep Space Nine, was that they had to stay there and deal with the situation. Right, right. They couldn't just jump back in this ship and fly, okay, well, we fix it, Have that go. little comedic coda at the end of the episode and then fly off to the next planet. Right, yeah. Right. It wasn't just like Captain Kirk doing three steps ahead of his baby's mom thing. <laughs> <laughs> All those little green chicks going... Wait a minute, you said you love me long time! You said you love me long time! <laughs> exactly, yeah, you know. Now, granted, he has interest in more than just the green chicks. It's just, you know... Any kill. chick. Any chick. Yeah, it's, it's really any chick. They'll All just chicks. down the green ones. It's like that line in that... that um, time that uh, McCoy brought to his attention. That thing turned green. Yeah, it's a good thing you brought this to my attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's under ten minutes, I guess, yeah. so... Well, that whole thing with Kirk, though, that you were just mentioning about Baby Mamas, it reminds me of that line in the uh, Gene Hackman movie Night Moves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If he found a woodpile, he would fuck it in the chance there was a lady snake in there. Oh, my God. <laughs> you would remember that line. <laughs> it's a good movie. It is. I haven't seen it in a while, but, yeah, it is an excellent movie. It should be a bumper sticker. Yeah, right? Or a t-shirt. Can't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be press get on that. Right after you give me my Kung Fu Rod Stewart oh, t-shirt. Yes, there you go. <laughs> All right, guys. Okay, so David. The next guy. Thank you so much, David. We appreciate it to no Great. end. My pleasure, guys. And I'm glad that you got to expound a bit on Deep Space Nine, your favorite right. Star Trek series. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, guys. Okay. You take care now. Yeah, you too. All right. And let's call Joel. Want to get Capone? I'll tell you how to get Capone. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of your people to the hospital, you send one of them all. And that's the Chicago way. 
Hello. 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 Joe? You're on Better in the Dark. <laughs> How you doing, guys? Fine. How are you? Thank you for waiting. Hey, not a problem. Not a problem. I'm cold at the moment. You're cold? Why are you cold? You're in California. How can you be cold? I'm in Bakersfield, the armpit of California. <laughs> ah, you learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's only 100 miles north of L.A., but it might as well be a, you know, 100,000 miles for all the difference between right. the two. Really? Oh, God, yes. Joel, Joel put, when he applied mm-hmm. to be a call-in guest, he wants to talk about what we consider to be the manliest movies ever made. Exactly. <laughs> well, first of all, let me ask you first, since you're our guest, what do you consider the manliest movies ever made? Goodness. Well, the definition to You're me... You're like I throw it back yeah. on, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make me do the work here. All right. <laughs> To me, a manly movie is something that, well, let's be honest, by the time you're done watching the movie, you want to drink something, you want to fight, you want to have sex with random women, you want something that epitomizes everything that a guy is. Now, let me tell you a recent manly movie that I went to see. When I went to see this movie, all the guys in the audience immediately ran to the next theater and kicked the shit out of everybody (laughs) that was watching Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, no! Oh, God, We were all watching the experience. Get over here, emo boy! <laughs> we were all watching the Expendables. Oh, and after yes. the Expendables, every guy in there ran over to the next. <laughs> well, no, you get exposed to Hail Caesar for an hour, and of course you're going to want to punch something. Now that's a manly movie. <laughs> that is a manly movie. It's guys doing guy stuff. There's shit blowing up. You know, there's a good-looking woman. There's guns going mm-hmm. off. There's guys doing guy stuff. I think another one that we mentioned in one of our earliest episodes is 300 because 300. Of, I had evidence of the guys who went to see it in my store would come back and go. I want I want to hit something now! You want to kill something at the scene? Yeah. Uh, let me see what else. You had the Dirty Dozen. Right. Dirty Dozen, that's a good one too. Mm-hmm. The um, Magnificent me, Seven. For me, I keep going back and forth between two. One is Predator. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you've got two movies in one. You've got an action movie as far as military. Then it switches over to science fiction. Yeah, then so it's a monster, two, right. you got two great tastes wrapped up right there. <laughs> right. And see, I love those kind of movies which lead you to believe they're one thing, and then you realize all of a sudden it's another thing. And it's, you, yeah. And it, when it's done right, and I think McTiernan did it right in Predator, you don't even notice the shift. No, no, it's so gradual, and then all of a sudden you look up about, what, 50 minutes into it, and it's right. like, shit, this is not the movie I expected. <laughs> but the you other are. movie I go back to for a different reason is Tombstone. Oh, yeah, yeah, Tombstone, great movie. Tombstone. Yeah. Oh, God, you got Val Kilmer doing his best. All those one-liners that Kurt Russell throws out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's guys backing each other up. It's bros before hoes. It's, it's, hey, it's got Sam Elliott in his mustache. Right. Oh, my God, every movie. Oh, every bro, movie. Pretty much if Sam Elliott is in the movie, it's pretty much a manly movie. It's a guy, yeah, it's a manly movie. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, Which no, is why, no, I mean, it's not for nothing that Ang Lee said, now, who could I get to play General Thunderbolt Ross? <laughs> I am so glad we got the Ang Lee impression in here. <laughs> Just made your day, didn't it? <laughs> it did. I got to hear it live. <laughs> God, you've got The Godfather. You've got oh, The well, Road Warrior. If you haven't seen The Godfather, you're not a man. Right. And if you're a woman who's seen it, you're an honorary man. <laughs> if you're a woman who's seen it and liked it, you're an honorary man. Are you kidding me? Some of these movies, if you're a woman and watch it, your vagina will close. Yes. What was it that Patricia said after she came out of The Expendables? She said she had to go to the bathroom to make sure she didn't have hair on her chest and she hadn't grown <laughs> some dangly bits she's not supposed to have. <laughs> I actually saw that movie for the first time on my trip over to Indonesia the last day. I had nothing better to do, and I thought, this is not watching. Yeah. My God, I wanted to get up and hit something. 
<laughs> I would say Vampires, the John Carpenter film. Yeah, that's, that's got, a manly movie. That's a manly that's movie. What is an underrated movie? Oh, I love that. But that didn't get a lot more play. It's the movie that to me shows that John Carpenter still can make a kick-ass movie. And definitely, John Carpenter's a guy who's about being a man. Now, I mean, explain to me why... James Wood. James Wood. Why did he not get an actor nomination for that? I mean, it is such a great performance. I love James Wood. Like Sam Elliott. If James Wood's in the movie, yeah, it's automatically a manly you movie. You know what I watched last night? Videodrome. Oh, God, yeah. Great movie. That movie will mess with your mind. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta be completely sober for that one. And the other film I watched before that, not this day, but a couple of days earlier, Cop. Oh, I love that The movie. James Elroy scripted film yeah. with, with James Woods investigating the serial killer who was going after lesbians. Roger Ebert said about that movie, if Dirty Harry was really dirty, this is yeah. what it would be like. Well, let me ask you, both of you then, if you could get one movie to somebody who said, you're not a man if you don't see this movie, which one would it be? The Godfather. I could go with that. I could Godfather. go with that. I do, but Godfather also is one of those where... What about, what about The Wild Bunch? Yeah. The Wild Bunch. Okay, yeah. That is the Citizen Kane of manly movies. Yes. No, I changed opinion. I think we would give The Wild Bunch. We'll give it to The Wild Bunch, yeah. Pretty much once again, if Sam Peckinpah's directing a movie... It's a man's, it's a man's, it's a man's movie, yes. I gotta go with 300. I have never had a movie grip me, grip my balls like that and go, this is what it's like to be a guy. Oh, yeah. Now, are you looking forward to Sucker Punch, Joe? God, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Maybe. I reserve judgment until after I've seen it, whether or not it was worth the effort. And also, we should notice that it has been confirmed that Zack Snyder is going to be doing the next Superman movie. Superman is going to rip Lex Luthor's head off in this one. He yeah. gives him any shit. I think so. <laughs> He's going to put that sucker halfway to Pluto. He's got poof. It's going to be the George Reeves, Superman ain't having none of your shit, Superman. Mm-hmm. I bet you one thing, Superman ain't going to get shanked in the back of this <laughs> That's one. That's right. <laughs> what you trying to do with me, punk? Bam! Super- How there's a Superman TV show or a movie that lasts longer than about, what, three minutes? He flies a super speed in one hit, and they never find his head. End of discussion. Well, it's like my, my good friend Scott Gardner likes to say, why don't just Superman just, like, throw somebody into the sun if he gives him enough problems? With any comic book movie, you got to have a, a suspension of disbelief, but that's why I never really cared for Superman. It's just, really? Really, it's going to take you that long for a bald guy. <laughs> Especially in the movies He's not just a bald guy He's like a bald uh, Shady Real estate agent exactly. It should literally be Three minutes Let's Luther do something He hears it He flies Boom End of discussion Well that's what I'm hoping That now Because we got Zack Snyder Who I think we could all agree Is an incredibly visual director yeah. And knows how to do action We're finally going to see A Superman in action If you mm-hmm. like Actually doing something With his powers yeah. Other than lifting stuff You do want to see Scenes of Superman Saving people and well, of course yeah. Dealing with natural disasters It's got to be at least One natural disaster yeah. That he prevents Because yeah. that's part of What Superman's about But you also want to see Superman haul up and hit something. Well, then who should be the bad guy for that? I mean, obviously we can't do Lex Luthor again. Oh, God, no. Please. Uh, I would go with Brainiac. Because then you got the whole Everybody out of, wants Brainiac, yeah. You know, the whole out of space thing, and also he's hyper-intelligent, so he can... I would even suggest maybe something like the Parasite. Okay. See, see I would have gone with Bizarro. That was the best oh. part of Superman 3, was watching him fight himself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, as we discussed in our Superman episode, that Nuclear Man Mm -hmm. was supposed to be Bizarro. (laughs) Was supposed to be Bizarro, right. Uncle Luthor. Uncle Luthor. Luthor. (laughs) Hey, I break dancing Uncle Luthor. The absolute (laughs) nadir. Even with Brian Singer's stalker, Superman. What was the name of that guy? That, that it was that he one? wasn't a stalker. He Why was a stalker. What he's saying he's, that? Oh, my God, he's doing TSA level surveillance on him. 
And he's not a stalker bullshit? No! What? Look, I don't know which was worse, the stalker Superman or the Lois Lane who really just treated Clark like a total tool. Yeah, that movie, Lois was horribly miscast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, no. I agree. It's, they cast who? What? Who was it, no. King? Yeah, yeah, King yeah. Bosworth. Only yeah, King Bosworth, yeah. Kevin Spacey liked working with her. I I know Kevin Spacey loves her, but somebody should have said no. A strong breeze would blow that girl a half a mile. She just doesn't have the presence to pull off the whole slime. Yeah. You need to get to the next guy, don't you guys? Yeah, we're at 10 minutes, 32 seconds. Well, listen. I read him. We're going to have you back on again. Let me know the date and the time. I'll show up. If you ever get time, we'll have you back on there. We can finish this interesting conversation. There you go. Okay, I'm maybe... At, I'm at your disposal, guys. Thanks maybe, for letting me be on the show. Maybe after Sucker Punch comes out, we'll yeah. have you back and we'll do a Zack Snyder episode. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I got opinions on Zack Snyder. Uh-oh. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> Joel, thank you for calling in. No problem, guys. Thank you and hope for another hundred on you. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Uh, I think you cut him off before. I think I did too. Sorry about that, Joel. I'm a bad Derek. I'm a bad. I'm, I'm a bad boy. Okay. Next up, we got my good friend Zach. So let's try to call. And by the way, I'm thinking of all the people in the Zack Snyder repertory company. You know who I think that Zack has worked with before who might be a really great Lois Lane? Who? Carla Gugino. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I really love her. Because Lois Lane has got to have a certain quality to her. And that one Kate Bosworth just didn't have. Yeah. But then you know me. I never think there was anybody better than Phyllis Coke. No, I'm talking about the movies. Oh, Raccoon Woman. Raccoon (laughs) Woman. Hello, Zack. Okay, we can hardly hear you, man. Let me unmute my mic. That'd be helpful. That'd oh, be helpful. That, there we go. That would be a great help, sir. Oh, God. <laughs> Mr. Sorry, Zach. Guys. It's good to be here, man. First of all, thank you for waiting. Oh, you're welcome, dude. It's my day off, and I've been pretty much unpacking, so. Because <laughs> you got yourself a new place, right? No, I moved back in with my parents. Okay. All right. We'll cut yeah. that part out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Make sure you edit that part out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing I'm going back to school, so. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's always a good thing. That's always a good thing. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. My parents made me, they made me enough I couldn't refuse. Oh, boy. They're like, hey, we'll pay for your school, and you just have to live with us. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> to make sure that their investment right. is not squandered. So you're not running around with the nakedness and the alcoholism and the sex. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that, I just can't do it in my house. <laughs> not in my house, young man! My dad probably wouldn't care, but my mother, not so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, dads are kind of like nudge, nudge, wink, wink about that type of stuff. Now, anyway. we want to plug Zach's podcast, The yeah. Clone Saga Chronicles. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Which is still available through the Spider-Man Crawl Space? Yes, you can go on SpiderManCrawlspace.com. Check it out there. Right now, at least, it's available on Podomatic. Mm. Uh, the official link is um, Yes. That may soon be changing, but that is what it is right now. The latest episode is a three-part extravaganza about maximum clonage. Oh, no! Oh, okay, cool. The amount of failure that is that story. <laughs> <laughs> Or as I made up the word today, failtacular. Failtacular. <laughs> I, li- I like that. I'm going to steal it. Failtacular. Okay. Now, now yeah. since Zach likes the Spider-Man, I think we can safely say. Okay. What do you make of what's going down right now with the uh, reboot? 
I'm very cautiously optimistic about the reboot, and the reason why I say that is, is because I want it to succeed, don't get me wrong. Right. At the same time, I don't think it will. I love how originally they were going to go with the high school years, but I think they've kind of changed that due to Garfield's age. I think he's going to be a... College I think he's going to be in college now. Okay. That kind of gives me a little bit more hope. <laughs> a couple of the casting bits. Martin Sheen, I think, is inspired casting, but I'm kind of curious as to whether or not he'll be more in an active role. Martin is in this one? He's playing uh, Uncle Ben. Really? I did not know that. Okay, yeah. cool. It'd be hard to top Cliff Robinson, but if anybody could do Just it, like it's like it'll be near impossible to top J.K. Simons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to be able to pull Jameson like Blake Jenkins. <laughs> that was just so perfect, man. Well, I watched Spider-Man 2 the other day, and I'm like... <sighs> That was another thing that was missing from Spider-Man 3. There was not enough J.J. If right. there was anybody that they should have held over, right. it should have been him. Now, let me ask you something, Zach, while I got you here. What do you think of the charges level against this reboot as Spider-Man for the Twilight crowd? It's a valid point. All I know is the only reason they're doing this reboot is if they don't, they're going to lose the rights to Disney. And it's such a giant cash cow for Sony. It's a cornerstone franchise, let's face it. I mean, what, $2 billion yeah. worldwide in the three movies? So it is so necessary for Sony financially to keep this movie. I'm not surprised. But look, and Tom has heard my whole bit of Twilight crowd. I hate Twilight. <laughs> of course you hate Twilight You're a man Exactly But my mother reads Twilight My mother She says the movies Are not nearly the book She says the books are better But then again I watched the first one I will not force myself To watch the other two Right. Okay. I forced myself to watch the first one because my roommate was like, it's not that bad, it's not that bad. I was like, do you have a vagina? Really? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, just try it. And I said, fine. I caved into peer pressure, watched it, and I'm like, okay, my intelligence quotient went down five points. I watched it solely because, since we do a movie-themed podcast, right. I figured it was my obligation so that I would know what I'm talking about. Right. I recognize the fact it's really not that bad of a movie. It's just that it's not made for us. Right. It's made mm -hmm. for the squealy well, little girls and their mothers. What's increasing out is the mothers more than the squealy yeah. girls. Yeah. Well, the hypocritical 40, 50, 60 yeah. years old with their double standards. Now, Tom, if it was me, you, and Zach, and we was in a movie theater squealing over 15, 16-year-old girls, they'd have us locked up. To be fair, I'm just as uncomfortable with the people who had the Emma Watson countdown boards. Or the Olsen twin. Yeah. Or the Miley Cyrus countdown boards. Yeah. yeah. Those people creep me out as well. Well, my problem with that whole thing is, at least with Miley Cyrus, it's like, oh, how much cleavage can I show now? I'm 16. <laughs> how close can I... Get to flashing nipple or flashing badge without it being completely... Oh, Miley Cyrus is a whole mother can of creep. The way her and Billy Ray hang out together. Now, that's very disturbing. Their relationship, I got nothing against a father and daughter being close, but... I'm sorry. There's something in there that makes me go, hmm. Yeah. Now, what do you make, Zach, of the fact they've cast Emma Stone, who to me is the flavor of the month, is the person that they had to make a star because they still wanted Lindsay Lohan, but without the Lindsay Lohan craziness? <laughs> I'll tell you right now, if I had to pick somebody that looked like a Ramita Mary Jane, yeah. Emma Stone looks it. 
Okay, but she's not playing Mary Jane. That's the funny thing. Yeah, no, I think it's a mistake to cast her as Gwen Stacy. Mary Jane, I think she has that, at least in the movies that she's been in, that personality and all that, to handle Mary Jane uh, in a comic historical aspect. Right. But my problem is that they're casting her as Gwen Stacy. I think that's a giant mistake. Do you think uh, that it's the studios that wanted Gwen Stacy or the holders of the property? Because we all know how Joey Hugh feels about Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Considering he named the new love interest in Amazing Spider-Man, Carly Cooper is his daughter's name, and she is, what if Gwen Stacy had lived? I, yeah, I know how he feels about Gwen Stacy. Yeah. As a character in the early Dicko years, and then mm-hmm. once the Remedia years hit, she's a completely different character. Agreed, uh, agreed. You and I have talked about this privately in the past. Yes. Part of me thinks that there's also going to be the aspect of, they're going to be basing a lot of this off Ultimate Spider-Man, so if it's Ultimate Gwen Stacy, in terms of the character direction, I won't have as big a problem with it. But if it's just regular old Gwen Stacy, she became a wallflower just like Peter, if not worse. She had the Silver Age syndrome known as crying damsel in distress syndrome. (laughs) Okay. Now, you know who was cool, though? Her father. Yeah, I liked the casting of The Farmer and Babe. The Farmer and Babe. Oh, James, James Cromwell. James Cromwell, thank James you. James Cromwell. Yeah, James Cromwell. I thought he looked like Ramita. He's playing Captain Stacy? No, he played Captain yeah. Stacy in 3, remember? Right, okay, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, he played Captain Stacy in Spider-Man 3. I thought it was really good casting. They didn't do anything with him, though. That was my big problem. He had two scenes he was in. The scene where they were talking about Clint Marco... And then when Gwen Stacy was damsel in distress. Speaking of James Cromwell, I was watching an old All in the Family rerun the other day. Just so I was down here doing laundry. He was in All in the Family. He was Stretch Cunningham. Oh, my God. He must yeah. have had colored hair at that point. No, that's the thing. He, he was did. grave in that. He always, yeah. yeah. I said, well, what is James Cromwell now? 150? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I agree. One thing I want to ask you about real quick before you yeah, got to yeah. go. Yeah. You heard about the Spider-Man play and how badly the preview bombed here yeah. in New York? Yes. Yes, I heard about it. What's your take on the whole Spider-Man play thing? Oh, you? God. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, how can you screw up Spider-Man's costume with the whole blue, red, and different lights? It goes from red to blue. Have you looked at it real closely? Uh, the blue section of the tights, it has like red sparkles. That's like fail. Number two, Carnage looks like a bad action figure from the 1990s. The Carnage headdress, horrible. There's that silver lady. The Swiss Miss. Swiss. Swiss Miss, yes, because we couldn't think of a better name for this fucking character. Excuse my French. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what would be good? A supervillain with a hot chocolate theme. <laughs> she, oh, look, she's put the tea kettle on. <laughs> she's going to steam me to death. That's horrible. The Green Goblin costume. I would rather have or the Or Alan costume. Cummings. Yeah, poor Alan Cummings, because that costume is awful. I would rather him be in the Power Ranger costume for the movies yeah. <laughs> than, uh, than in that abomination. I didn't think they could screw up this deal any more than they have. Good lord. Abomination is the best way of describing it. I watched a little bit of, of Spider-Man Crawl Space. Your number one yeah. site for all things Spider-Man, of course. Uh, you can see he posted the 60 Minutes interview yeah. where they were talking to the creators of Bono. Which, okay, look, I like you two as much as anybody, but damn. <laughs> I mean, you don't think Bono, Spider-Man, not the same universe. Yeah, this is uh, like things that make you go, hmm? I'm just your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because I grew up in Ireland, yeah. Ireland, <laughs> right. Oh, God. Goblin, bloody goblin. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. It's a Sunday, bloody Sunday, yeah, yes. exactly. Oh, so there's that aspect. There's that horrible costume. The fact they had to keep recasting Mary Jane 
and Peter Parker, it seemed like. And when they cast Peter Parker, everybody's like, what? <laughs> I think it was doomed to fail when it didn't come out, what, last year? When it originally yeah. was supposed to come out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pushing it back and pushing it back. It's doomed to fail. If it lasts the season, I would be pleasantly surprised. But I'm not going to knock anybody over to go see it. Yeah. Okay. And I leave? watched the Universal Studios Spider-Man. <laughs> and it looked better. It was more true to the source material than this crap. Oh, yeah. So, well, if you go to Universal Studios down in Florida, I tell everybody, you got to go on that ride, the Spider-Man yeah. ride. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, unfortunately, this was in California, the Universal Studios in L.A. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have the Spider-Man ride. I was really disappointed. Tom, you might know for sure. Mm-hmm. Are the islands of adventure going to be kind of going away? I'm not sure yet. I'm assuming that they were going to keep it because it's getting them revenue. I don't think that Disney is planning on putting their own Marvel theme park in Disney World. Of course, and if you told me 15 years ago that they were going to be opening up Animal Kingdom. Yeah, well. Well, Zach, I want to thank you for taking the time. Zach, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. we got to have yes. you back again. Yes. Yes. Yes, I would love to be back again. Congratulations on, on 100 episodes, you. gentlemen, and to 100 more. And we want to once again remind people that if you like hearing Zach, you can check him out again on Clone Soccer Chronicles, available through the Spider-Man Crawl Space. I'll occasionally make uh, appearances on that podcast, although at this point it's coming, becoming a drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. Okay. Okay, Zach. Take care now. <laughs> Talk to you later. Right. Let me leave you with this thought before we leave the land of Spider-Man. Turn out the night, or where the heck the heck? Yeah, the whatever the hell it's called. Like, turn out the dark. What is that even I mean, supposed yeah, exactly. to mean? I mean, what is that even supposed to mean? It's the fact that it may end up becoming one of these cult things, much like the Carrie musical was. Okay. You might have people circulating these tapes. Looking, or like, it's a yeah. bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Right, yeah, yeah, from the 60s, okay. yeah. Sure. Okay, so now it's time, I guess we call one of our earliest supporters from way back when, Chris Johnson. Okay. So, so let's get him Let's on. get him on the line and do the do-do-do-do-do-do. You love that, don't you? Gotta do it. There we go. With a black Santa Claus, apparently. No, that's uh, Santa Doom. Oh, that's Santa Doom. That's Dr. Doom and Santa Claus. Yeah. Mr. Johnson? Mr. DJ? That is us! Hey, what's going on, Chris? Hey, Derek. Nice to talk to you in person. Same here, same here. How are you today? I'm doing great. Happy 100th, you guys. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. And Chris wants to talk about one of his favorite directors, Fritz Lang. Oh, okay. But first I thought I'd sing your praises a little bit, if Uh that's okay. Is that this whole quarantine pulse... Jeff John's tribute band thing you were threatening last night? Let him go ahead. <laughs> I just thought that that would be a nice little continuity reference for episode 100 and all. But uh, I just remember way, way back in 2006 when I started doing the Amazing Spider cast, and Tom was the first person that I got more than one piece of feedback from, and I got feedback from him on a regular basis, and that led to him doing a segment on the show. Which just blew my mind because I just started out and was somebody asking, hey, can I do a segment for your show? Eventually he messaged me and said, hey, me and my friend Derek are going to be doing this film podcast called Better in the Dark. 
and I've been listening ever since, and I can't believe that it's been so long since then. Five, yeah, five years. You can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I turned around, I said, what do you mean we're doing a 100th episode? We've done a 100 yeah. episodes? And Tom said, yeah, we've done a 100 episodes. Oh, my God. Yeah. But yeah. thank you for your continued support. What are support. you doing these days? Because I know that there were a couple of other podcasts, like Nuff Said and Quantum Blunderbuss. I'm turning into the Troy McClure of podcasts. Hi, this is Chris Johnson. You might remember me from such short podcasts as Nuff Said and Quantum Blunderbuss. Uh, Quantum Blunderbuss was something that I really wanted to keep up with, but unfortunately my friend Juan decided to actually have his inking career just explode during this year. Selfish guy that he is. So that kind of fell by the wayside. How dare he have a career in life? I know, right? How, how dare he be successful? But, Castro! Um, and since I really wanted to just do that podcast with him, so if it comes to a point where he's able to make time in his busy schedule, we might pick it up again. Really, just right now is I'm really, I actually am in the college thing mostly right now. Right. And I actually am a film major. I took a major film director's class. And before I took that class, film was something that I enjoyed watching. But until that class, I didn't really give a critical eye towards film to the extent about looking at the lighting, the camera work, the movies on set, all that stuff. And I just absolutely fell in love with that. So I was officially switched my major last semester. And I just went back and did intro to film and film genre this semester. So so we got that going on. Let me ask you before we go on to your, the subject you want to talk about. What do you make of this rather vocal backlash against Morrison these days? See, I love Graham Morrison. I am so, to use the phrase, in the tank for him, that I basically have one of those underwater hotels. <laughs> the thing with Graham Morrison is that Graham Morrison likes to do really far out he really marches to the beat of his own drummer. Mm-hmm. There are people that like the beat that he is putting out, and they enjoy what he does, and they're really into it. And I think that his work is something that he packs a lot into it, and it's not always something that you're easily going to be able to get on the first read through. I think his work requires you to read it one or two times to fully get what he's doing, which is something I appreciate because I think most comics today, you read it, and then you just toss into your long box, and you might read it again, but you likely never will. But with Morrison's stuff, especially with his Batman run, you can reread the issues and catch new details that he was setting up for plot points that showed up later in the mm-hmm. run, which is something I really appreciate. But beyond that, he just does some really crazy shit that people just think that he's high and mm-hmm. doing acid and just a bunch of garbled mess and that he only writes for himself. And I disagree with the sentiment that he writes only for himself because I think very much so he writes comics the way he wants to write them, just like Stan Lee back in the 60s wrote comics that he would want to read. Some people want to read the same comics he wants to read and some people don't. And that's understandable, but I think something like Final Crisis, which was trying to make an event comic that wasn't just a bunch of punchy-punchy run-run freight issues like a certain comic Marvel did. Yes. I thought... A lot of that backlash was unfair because he was trying to do something different with the event comic. I don't think he was entirely successful with what he did. I'll admit that Final Crisis is, has several significant
significant flaws to it, but I still love it, and I still appreciate that he did something, and DC let him do something different with event comics. Well, let me say this about Morrison. Let me throw my 25 cents here. Okay. Morrison, to me, is a comic book writer in that he actually understands what right. is it. He's not trying to write, quote-unquote, a movie for comic books, right. or he's not, yeah. like... Uh, like Mark Millar seems to do. Right. Or, exactly. right. or he's not just slumming... While yeah. he's waiting for his next TV deal or movie deal. Morrison's actually a comic book writer. And it's a good point what you said about people think he's on drugs. People thought Steve Ditko and Stan Lee back in the 60s when they did Doctor right. Strange, they thought they were on drugs. But no, yeah. they were just writing comic books. And Morrison understands comic books are supposed to be crazy and weird yeah. and fun and out there. And it's not supposed to be this dreary thing where you have six pages of right. people sitting at a table talking. In a movie, you can get away with yeah. doing that. But not in a comic book. Well, I think with Morrison, one of the problems I think that some people have and can't get onto him is that he's one of these people I've always said that he wakes up, he has seven different ideas. True. And he thinks all of them yeah. are equally valid. Right. Even though, like, let's say maybe three of them are. But he wants to share all seven with you. Right. And I think that some people who are not used to handling more than two new ideas every day <laughs> get kind of freaked out when it's like, look, look what I just thought of. Yeah. And he can turn around and do All-Star Superman and mm-hmm. everybody oh, wow, yeah. absolutely loves. He can write comics like JLA and All-Star Superman that appeal to the mainstream but when he does stuff like Final Crisis and Doom Patrol and Invisibles and things like that that go out there, not everybody is going to go that same path that he's going and just want to stay with the JLA and the All-Star Superman. Mm-hmm. Okay, good enough. So, Fritz Lang. Yeah, okay. It was okay, cool. Car- cards on the table. Yeah. Okay, I have not seen M. All right. And I know that makes me a bad Fritz Lang fan, but it's just one of those films which is kind of like with Morrison's Invisibles for me, which I've been hyped up so much and talked about so much that I just want to kind of see all of the rest of the things he's mm-hmm. done before I see what is considered his map piece. With me and Fritz Lang, when I got Netflix, I heard everybody talking about Fritz Lang, and Netflix has a lot of his silent films available on there. Watch instantly, so I started watching his stuff, and I watched Destiny, and Dr. Mabuzi, The Gambler, and The Testament of Dr. Mabuzi, and, of course, Metropolis. There's an image of the silent film as something that's very much just a lot of Mickey Mousing music and slapstick comedy and overacting and things. But with Fritz Lang, there's such an art to his films. There is a lot of complexity to his films, I find. Spies is another one of the silent films that I love that I just really... Am dazzled by his films. I actually haven't seen a lot of Fritz Lang. I've seen Metropolis, of course. Yeah. I've seen Spies. I haven't seen any of the Mabuse films. I've seen some of the movies he did after he came to Hollywood and he started doing Sally Foreign Correspondent. I believe he directed that one with Joel McRae. That one I like a lot. It's a shame that, and me and you were talking about this earlier on with with another one of our, yeah, that there aren't a lot of people that appreciate these movies for what they were. A lot of these movies are the precursors to stuff that we see now. Right. And it's really a shame that you really have to put a gun to some people's heads and say, well, sit down and watch this. I'm going to blow your brains out. <laughs> and then this is what makes me mad. After they watch it, they said, that was pretty good. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. Oh, well, no shit. Why didn't you tell me before? Because you were too busy screaming, no, no, it's not in color. <laughs> or it has subtitles. God. Oh, God. I actually have people tell me that's why they don't like foreign films. Well, why not? Well, I have to read. If I want to read, I'll read a book. You and I have talked about this. I actually prefer seeing the subtitle version because you get the original actor's emotion and intent. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you're looking at the damn screen already. You mean you can't look at the bottom? Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to read. If I want to read, I read. People just got the silliest reasons for why they don't want to do certain things. Just say you're too lazy to... Right. Or tell me you can't read. <laughs> it's actually been a long time since I've seen one of them. Because I used to watch on PBS here in New York. They used to show a lot of the old classic Fritz Lang stuff. Well, that's where I saw him. Yeah. And I saw Metropolis... Because, yeah, PBS used to run that Battleship Potemkin. Yeah. Remember, like, on uh, Saturday nights, they used to regularly run They used to run movies like that. Yeah, all, yeah. all sorts of, like, classic and silent it. films. And now, again, I'm going to plug Turner Classic Movies for anybody who has it, then you know, and if you don't know, every Sunday night, they have a block of silent films that they'll run, like, three or four what silent Because what would an episode of Better in the Dark be without a plug for a Turner Classic movie? I'm going to write them and demand they pay me a salary. Right. I think the only thing else that we would have to make it a perfect BITD episode is if I once again mentioned Kristen Bell. <laughs> Minute of silence. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I've not seen Burlesque yet. My mom and I are going to go see it together. Why, she's in it? My mom? No. <laughs> Kristen Bell. Yes, Kristen Bell is in it. You wouldn't know it by seeing the trailers. They only have like five seconds of her in the, the trailer. The only two people I know that's in the movie is Sharon Christina Aguilera. Well, of course. Cause it, I was watching the trailer for it. I said, well, apparently they're the only ones that's in the movie. No, she plays basically the Gina Gershon role. Oh, okay. And the one, I was here first, and I don't like you because you're new. When are they going to stop screwing that poor girl over? I don't Kristen know. Bell. Because she's like, your Scream 4 ticket is already bought? Of course. <laughs> She's in Scream 4? She's going to be in Scream 4. But it's like you and I talked about. She is so desperate to get out of rom-com hell. Yeah. The poor girl just can't seem to get a break. And it's a damn shame. Because I would love to see me and you have talked plenty yeah. of times. If I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd call up and say, you want to star in you a movie? You want to be Honey West. You want to be Honey West? I'll give you the money. Go ahead. You get to dress in black. You get to shoot guns. You get to be a detective. And you get to keep a pet. What was it? It was an ocelot? A leopard or something leopard. like that. Yeah, a, a leopard ocelot. A yeah. big cat is a pet. Here's the money. Go make a movie. Yes. Okay, Chris, we have got to move along to our next call. But thank you so much for being a part of this 100th episode. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's good to finally get to talk to you guys after I listened to your banter back and forth <laughs> for 100 episodes. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's good to talk to you. And, of course, as always, as I tell anybody, if you see me on Skype, just holler and say yeah. hi. I'm not hard to find. I'm usually on frequently. So I'm around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, Chris. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of episode 100, you guys. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Okay. Thank you, sir. Take care. You too. And we are done. Okay. Okay. Our next caller is actually calling in via this weird instrument called the telephone. I do not know of this thing that you say called the telephone. You're a sick man, DJ. <laughs> I am not familiar with your strange futuristic ways. What is that from? I think that's from the old Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that's a Saturday Night Live skit. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was it Caveman Lawyer with <laughs> Phil Hartman? <laughs> and that was his whole... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Let's wait for the beep. We'll leave him a message. Okay. Christian! Christian! It's Tom DJ. And Derek Ferguson. From Better in the Dark. We were calling you, but you don't seem to be there. But that's okay. Maybe we'll have you on the 101st episode. Oh, or the 200th episode. The 200th episode. Just for you, after we finish leaving this message, we will talk a little bit about Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. Okay, just for you. Just for you, my friend. We're sorry we missed you, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Okay, bye-bye.
Okay. That was supposed to be Christian. So, Christian wanted to talk about Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. Right. One of the, the DC yeah, animated. The DC animated thing, yeah. Which, actually, I kind of like. Tom lent me this, mainly because of the second feature, which we always rate about. The Spectre, and also because I wanted you to see the documentary. Right. The one which featured Dan, what's-his-face, Bullethead. <laughs> Bullethead. Who? Dan DiDio. Dan DiDio, right. Um, but you know why I call him Bullethead, right? Now I've seen, seen him, him, yeah, yeah. Now that I've you've seen him, he's got this kind of, like, no, he's got a thick neck. He's got a big, bull- He's got, got a, a conical head. He's got a bullet-shaped head. I actually was surprised at how much I enjoyed the main feature, Justice right. League Crisis. On the, I mean, I really did enjoy it mm-hmm. a whole lot. I felt the complexity of the plot. Because this is a movie where I kind of agree with the bad guys. The Justice League makes this arbitrary decision. Well, we're going to go to this other earth, yeah. and we're going to impose our... We're gonna, well, this is bad. And it's even Batman who says, right. we've got enough to deal with right here on our own Earth. Yeah. We don't need to be going to this other Earth and messing with these mm-hmm. people. And the Justice League pretty much get their ass kicked in this one over this. I love the Owlman character. Oh, who was just... James a, Wood. James Wood, who was just as formidable as Batman, if not more so, because his ambition is to destroy not just one world, not just two, but the entire multiverse. It's I, the ultimate solution to crime, though, you got to admit. Yes, it is. If there is no reality, then there's no crime. Mm-hmm. I can't stress it highly enough. These DC Animation has really impressed me with a lot of mm-hmm. their product that they put out. I was one of the few people, I know that it was a big seller, but I enjoy Green Lantern First Flight, yeah. even though like both you and I have said, it's really a Green Lantern core movie. Right. It's not a Green Lantern movie. I haven't seen Wonder Woman yet, but people whose opinion I trust say that it's good, but that, again, that wasn't right. a big seller. The Spectre, oh, oh, the second feature, yeah. which we've always talked about. If I could have a Spectre movie just in that mm-hmm. style, yes. They've got my money. Now, surprisingly, they've released the Blu-ray edition of the DC Showcase Presents. Uh-huh. You can get it in the Best Buy, in fact, over here, but they right. haven't released it yet to DVD, so I'm waiting for it to come out on DVD, which features okay. the Spectre short, the Jonah Hex short they did, the Green Arrow short they did, and... This is the Superman Shazam? And also an original short, Team Superman Shazam, up against Black Adam. Okay. Great so, stuff, yeah. The thing that I liked about Crisis on Two Earths is that it works on two levels. If you're just some guy who likes comic books but isn't like real hardcore about it, it just tells an entertaining story. But if you are a hardcore DC fanatic, there are all these little connectors that you can find. Right. They're not drawn attention to, but they're there. Like the fact that the lieutenants for each of the members of the crime syndicate represent different, for example, Owlman's lieutenants are all members of the Outsiders. Yeah, or I think it's like Wonder Woman has the Teen Titans. The Teen Titans, right. Sorry, not Wonder Woman, Superwoman. Superwoman, Sorry, yeah. Superwoman. I like the fact that Batman stays, but he decides it's time to open up the Justice League, so we get moments with Firestorm and Black Canary and all yeah. these other secondary characters. Because Batman, of course, says, well, now yeah. i got to go to this other Earth and i got to save their asses. Right. So, of course, the weirdest connection, of course, which is Glade Wilson being the president. Yeah, 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 this was... And Rose, one of my favorite Teen Titans, Rose Wilson, the first lady. I don't know what you... Teddy Roosevelt had a situation where, because he was a widower and he wasn't going to remarry, mm-hmm. his daughter was... Was recognized as the first as lady. the first yeah. lady, yeah. With Rose Wilson as the first lady. Getting and in, who actually has a relationship with the Marshall Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Getting busy with John Jones. Oh, my God. It's just a hugely entertaining movie. And if comic books were as entertaining as that movie, I'd still be yeah. reading comic books. As opposed to these days where some of this stuff I just can't get through. No, I mean, it's just a slog to get through. And that's why I don't read comics. People say, oh, well, you're not really a comic book fan. Yes, I am. That's why I don't read them anymore. Mm -hmm. What is being produced today by Marvel and DC, I don't consider it to be 
readable comic books. I'm sorry, and that's just the fun. If you want to read it, fine. And we've talked about this many times on the show. I don't spend my money and I don't spend my time on what I don't like. Comic book fans are the only fans in the world that actively support a hobby that they profess to hate. Right. I think part of it is just because comics have become such a niche market, even though they're... It's funny because... Comics now, maybe you figure, would probably be more popular than ever before what with all the movies that have come out of and such. But in reality, the actual comic books themselves are still a niche market. And the comic book industry let it become a niche market. Instead of adapting their product back in the 70s to better serve the newsstand, they just retreated into direct sales. Right. And they retreated even further and further until direct sales was literally all they had. And now they're trying to reorient again towards trade paperback, towards a bookstore model. Speaking of DC Animation, real quick before we see we got another caller. Did you watch Young Justice? I don't get cable, remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you don't have it. Why didn't you tell me I would have burned the DVD I, for you? Could you not, Kurt? I think you would like it. Okay. From what I understand, it takes place on a different Earth. It's not really a DC canon show. No, it's not. They have a scene differences with Green Arrow and Speedy. Right. Speedy is dressed in the original costume he did when he started out. Right. But the Green Arrow is from the Mike Grell Longbow Hunters era. That's weird. Yeah. But then again, in this one, Speedy's supposed to come back as Red Arrow because he walks out. Yeah. Five minutes into the show, he's gone. He says, just screw you. Mm-hmm. And he's gone. But they said he's going to come back as Red Arrow. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to check my DVR, see if I still have it. If I have it on that, I'm going to burn you a because I really think that you will. And I know how much of a fan you are of, of the Teen Titans, Titans and yeah. everything like this. When this was first announced, everyone's like going, oh, Young Justice. It's funny because I know a lot of people love the Young Justice comic book. Uh-huh. Which was, oddly enough, what they killed the 1990s version of Teen Titans to do. Right, frankly, it was a crap version. Okay. Don't get me wrong. But I never got into Young Justice anywhere near as closely as I got into the Teen Titans. Got to Teen Titans. But from what I understand, this is more like a Teen Titans show, just with the Young Justice. Yeah, I'll tell you, this is a lot. Again, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. It got into the story and got into the characters because they have a new Aqualad. Yeah. They introduced. Which they, they introduced, oddly enough, the character in Brightest Day. Uh-huh. A couple of months before the, oh. the show premiered. They've got Miss Martian, who they introduced in the last five yeah. minutes. They bring her onto the team. They've got Red Tornado. They've got Zatara. Yeah. Zatara is well, in this. From what I can gather from the stills and stuff I've seen, is that it looks like they're introducing a lot of characters from the Jeff Johns era Teen Titans. Because mm-hmm. Zachary Zatara, who is Zatanna's Tons. nephew, uh-huh. is a character who was introduced during the, what the quote-unquote, one-year gap Right. After Infinite Crisis. Mm-hmm. The idea was, remember, after Infinite Crisis, all the DC comics moved ahead one year. And we learned that during that year, the Teen Titans broke up and reformed and broke up and reformed and gathered a whole new group of characters. And Zatara was one of them. There was like Zatara, there was Molecule, who was like Kid Adam, if you will. Yeah, okay. There was Talon, who was the Robin of Earth 3, the evil uh, crime syndicate mm-hmm. Robin, who decided to reform and escape to Earth 1. All these bizarre characters. But yeah, I don't get cable because I know if I get cable, I would get nothing done at home. Well, don't worry about it. I'll burn you a copy when you come back over here because we're going to be recording episode 101 on, on the, the 17th. 17th, just before the Christmas holiday. We're right. going to be doing and that. Yeah, we, we hope to get two episodes done then, and that'll be it. And then we're going to go on vacation! Yes, we are, folks. We're going to be going on vacation, but don't you worry you, because... You're not going to even notice. That's the funny thing. Yeah, you're not even going to notice because we've 
finally got our act together and we recorded enough episodes that the whole month of January is right. covered. No, That's we're going to be good through February. We're well, going to take January. Because, well, we are going to do our usual traditional Super Bowl Sunday recording. Right. And that will be the first time we'll have recording after the 17th, which is the next recording date. Okay. And if you're not even going to notice, because I'm just trying to get ahead, I'm already at episode 96 is supposed to be coming out this Sunday. That's already done. I'm just waiting for Kalen's theme song. Okay. 97 I'm editing right now. So I'm actually getting ahead of the schedule. So hopefully everything will be done. That's it for the call-in section, although we did have a couple of people who wanted to call in but couldn't. Right. We mentioned Sam up at the top of the, the episode. Right. We, did we mention Russ? Because I think Russ, at the last minute... Yeah, Russ Anderson, he was supposed to be on, but he emailed me this morning, and yeah. he sends his regrets, but he also sends his congratulations. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Russ. And, thank and of you. course, check out PulpWorksPress.com. Right. Which Russ is... Deeply involved in he's and he had pulls the strings. The editor of How the West Was Weird. Mm-hmm. And, and coming we, soon, How the West Was, was Weird, weird. too. Yeah, so apparently uh, we're going to do it again. Yep. <laughs> so Also, I've got a message from Kenneth McIntyre of Movies About Girls. Okay. He wanted to come on, but he says that he's at work. He won't be home until Mag Showtime tonight. However, let me say congrats to UND, the pioneers and architects of cult film podcasting, Whoa. on this extraordinary occasion. Whoa. Bravo. And also, stay golden. He's got my vote. <laughs> For what? <laughs> For anything. Okay. Anything he's doing. We want to thank all of our call-in. Yes, we thank you, gentlemen. We really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. It was very enlightening. And it didn't go as you thought it was. You thought it was going to be a total disaster. I was scared, man. I was Why? nervous at the moment. Because you never know what's happening. Granted, we're not but, super hyper-prepared that, for every but episode. That, but that's what makes it exciting that you don't know what's going to happen. That's the thrill. That's yeah. the meat potatoes it is that you don't no, know no, what's going to happen. Wrong. We don't get super hyper-prepared for every episode. But we do usually go in with a fairly fairly understood game plan. <laughs> right. This one we went in without a net. We had no idea whether people were going to yell and scream, when they wanted to talk about one thing, but actually we're going to talk about something else, whether they were going to just mention Jeff Johns over and over and over again, stuff like that. But yeah, everything went pretty well, so I'm cool with that. Yeah. I figured we'd finish up by tackling some of the backed up pile of viewer mail we got. Mm-hmm. The first letter is from Matthew McKinnon Gray, and he says, Hi guys, I just listened to episode 93. It was a blast. As a long-time Trekkie, I really enjoyed hearing the opinions of an outsider like Tom. And, of course, it's always fun to hear from other Trekkies like Derek and Mike. I agree that the next movie should steer clear of Khan. They've already rebated as Nemesis and the Abrams film. We really don't need to see it again. A hard sci-fi story or a murder mystery might be a nice change of pace. Since you're doing a show on the TV series, I thought you might be interested in this. It's Gene Roddenberry's original Star Trek pitch from 1964. There's a lot of interesting details in it, like the fact that Roddenberry originally planned for the parallel earths from episodes like Bread and Circuses to play a far more prominent role in the series. Finally, I don't think Brown and Braga had anything to do with the creation of the remits. Braga and Ron Moore left the film franchise after First Contact to focus on TV writing in Mission Impossible 2. Nemesis was written by Gladiator scribe John Logan. The remits didn't appear on Enterprise until Manny Cotto became a showrunner. Hmm, okay. Can't wait for the next episode, Matthew M.G. Thank you so much, Matthew. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. And again, let me say that because, well, I got a lot of personal emails from people. Mm -hmm. You know who you are that was saying, 
Well, why is Tom going to co-host a Star Trek episode? He doesn't even like Star Trek. You should have me co-host. Yeah. No, Tom was the perfect person to have on that episode precisely because he doesn't know anything about Star right. Trek and he's not a Star Trek fan. That is what you need to get perspective on anything that you're doing. You need an opposing view. You need somebody who is not so deeply entrenched into the lore and mythology as I am who can right. bring a fresh eye to the whole thing. So that's what's his contribution to it. And I'm delighted of his insights into it as far as the movies go. Also, I think that people just thought I was just going to tear apart everything. Well, they don't know you. Yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of people who were dreading those episodes were kind of surprised at what I eventually came up with. No. But from here we go to our good friend... Mr. Ron Fortier. Hey. Who will be joining us soon? Can we officially mention this? Uh, I feel comfortable doing so, because by the time they hear this episode, it'll either happen or it won't. (laughs) On the 17th, which is the next time we're we're recording. Recording, yeah. We're planning on doing Pulp Heroes in the movies. Which will be episode 99, Mm -hmm. to tie in with the release of The Green Hornet. And we're going to have Ron on. We're going to talk about some of our favorite pulp movies. We're going to talk about The Rocketeer and The Phantom and uh, all this. The Shadow. The Shadow. And whatever else comes to mind. Well, so it should be a fun time. Right. Ron says, Hi, Tom and Derek. I grew up in the 60s and was one of those rare kids who actually paid attention to the writing credits on a TV episode. Early on, I began seeing this guy Cannell's name popping up all the time. By the time I graduated from high school, 1964, he was making his name as a producer and starting to launch all the great shows that you mentioned in the podcast. My favorite, of course, being The Rockford Files. Note, Stuart Kaminsky did write a few, I believe three or four, Rockford paperback novels about ten years ago that were worth hunting up. And that series is the main inspiration for the new P.I. webcomic strip, Price for the Asking, that I'm now writing with Bill Gladman for the comic-related site. Again, thanks for the wonderful homage to a great man and one of my personal heroes, Ron. I was pleasantly surprised at how many people yeah. seemed to enjoy the Stephen J. Cannell episode. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of people say, oh man, that was great. You know, I said, really? You know, I don't know. It's certain episodes that you think that people are going to yeah. go crazy over and they don't say nothing. Then all the episodes you think, well, it's gonna as we've stated before, there are episodes that we do for ourselves. Right. And this is what we did for ourselves. Yeah, because we both felt very strongly about Cannell as a creative person, and we wanted to celebrate him. But apparently, there were a lot of people who felt the same way that we mm-hmm. did, because I had people that would say, oh man, brought back a lot of memories, yeah. and there was certain shows. I even had one person, I'm not even going to mention his name, and you know what he said, he was glad to hear that episode for one reason only, because he used to watch Stephen J. Cannell's show, and I always wonder who that guy with the typewriter was at the <laughs> I said, dude, really? You didn't know that was him? And he said, no, I didn't know that was him until Castle. And then I realized that, oh, that's Stephen J. Cannell. Okay, well, once again, if we can inform, educate, illuminate, our work is done. I do want to mention, by the way, Ron made reference to Stuart Kaminsky who is an excellent writer. And the reason I bring him up is that his primary character, the character that he's written about for many, many years, he's a professor of film, is Toby Peters. And if you are interested in film, particular film of the 30s and 40s, you will love these novels. They're mystery novels built around Hollywood in the 30s and 40s. Okay. Usually each episode features a major person, so there's one that has him investigating a crime on behalf of the Marx Brothers. Mm -hmm. There's one where he goes on the set of an Alfred Hitchcock film. They're great, cool crime stories, Mm -hmm. which are also great for film buffs. Because, of course, this is Kaminsky, he knows they're very, very accurate. Supposedly, 
there was supposed to be a pilot shot at one point for uh, Toby Peters' TV series. I've never heard anything other than the initial announcement. But you've actually spoken yourself about occasionally that you wanted to do a story set in an alternate world where the Marx Brothers are private detectives and not comedians. That was based on Ryan Red. After the failure of Duck Soup, they had actually considered walking away. And I'm like, yeah, but you're in show business all your life. What would you do for a living? Mm -hmm. And also the thought that I I heard from more than one source that these were really smart guys. Not just smart, showman smart, Mm -hmm. but smart, smart. Mm-hmm. And supposedly, Harpo was the smartest of them all. Yeah. The thought just stuck in my head of the idea of them running a security business for one of the studios. Right, for the studios, right. After, yeah, after the studios, they retired right. and uh-huh. getting them involved with different crimes and stuff. It's still something that's in my library of dreams, if you will. Okay. I've got one more piece okay. that I want to talk and then we'll do our thank yous and shuffle off to Buffalo. Okay. This is from, of course, our good friend Dan Tolan, who ah. co-hosts Bigger on the Inside with Michael David Sims. He writes, Greetings, gentlemen. First and foremost, I honestly believed I was the only human being on the planet who remembered Beans Baxter. (laughs) I feel some small sense of vindication. As someone who came of age in the 80s, Stephen J. Cannell was an enormous part of shaping my pop culture consciousness. I was truly saddened to hear of his passing. The entertainment industry is truly poorer for it. It was wonderful to hear you talk about his work for an hour, and it brought back memories of shows I had long ago forgotten about. As always, great, great job, and thank you for doing what you do. Oh, and the greatest American heroine pilot was a bonus, he puts in quotation marks, Mm -hmm. on the first season DVD set of Greatest American Hero. It is truly one of the most wretched things I've ever seen, and have to wonder what shower of bastards got together to inflict this horrendous piece of shit on an unsuspecting populace. I love that. Shower of bastards. Yeah, that's like... I like that. Shower of bastards. It sounds like somebody's idea of a really cool fantasy football team. I talked about it briefly when I reviewed the DVD set a couple of years ago on Earth2.net, and he provides a link. Okay. Keep on keeping on. Dan Tolan, bigger on the inside. Thank you, Dan. Much appreciated. We've been so gladdened by the response to that episode, and we're hoping episode 98. It's under the director's court banner, but it's another one of these cases where we have to get together and talk about this man. That's Dino De Laurentiis. Dino De Laurentiis. We're trying to figure out a name for these things, but we Because we're planning on doing one for Leslie. Nielsen, Nielsen, who we just recently lost him. A great, great man. Another man who totally repudiates F. Scott Fitzgerald's statement that American lives have no second act. Yeah, this is a man. He had an entirely, completely second career in the movies. Totally unrelated to his first career as a leading romantic lead, and he became a major comedic. Anything, he became a bigger star. I think he did. The second half of his career, the career he had, starting with a lot of people think it was with the Naked Gun movies, but actually the Naked Gun was a TV series. Yes. It only ran for six episodes, mm-hmm. but it's one of the funniest TV shows ever made. And the made. funny thing is that, I think it was uh, Jerry Abrams in a, a later interview said, if they had decided to pick it up, we would have had no idea. No idea what to do, yeah. We just put everything into those six episodes, and we would have had to have said, well, we can't do anymore. And it should be mentioned that Airplane, mm-hmm. the movie, of course, everybody, right. that classic line. The movie no. that made Zaz. Don't call me Shirley. Right. you got to remember, it wasn't just Leslie Nielsen. The whole joke of that movie was that they had these tough guy actors like Robert Stack yeah. and they Peter Graves. Peter Graves and Lloyd Bridges. These tough, who were not known for comedy doing comedy. Right. They said that was the real joke of the movie. Mm-hmm. And they were all hilarious. It wasn't just Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. He was the standout. But they were so all... So tell me, Timmy. 
Do you like movies about gladiators? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. He was the cramped up in that little cockpit yeah. in there. And that, let's put it this way: it cemented a subgenre that endures to this day of the parody yeah. movie. Yeah, everybody wanted to do a parody movie, but of course, and, and sadly, a parody movie has sort of lost its focus to the point where it's not funny anymore. Nobody could do it as well as them. One movie that's almost as funny, and they did it also, Gypsy Top Secret with Val Kilmer. Yes, yeah. yes. That was Zaz's follow-up. Yeah, that was almost almost as funny as Airplane. It's like about, I'm holding yeah. my fingers about itch apart. It's about that much away from being as of funny course, as Airplane. when I think of Top Secret, what I think of is that bizarre moment with Peter Cushing. Yeah. Where the whole scene is played out backwards. Yeah. And he's got that weird eye. He's got the magnifying glass in your thing, but when you pull it away, you see it's really his eye. Yeah. They play the whole scene back. And you don't realize until they get to the end of the scene that it's all being done yeah. backwards. So, yeah, so we're going to be doing a Leslie Nielsen episode. What? we got to figure out a yeah. name for, these, for these little tribute episodes. So. Yeah, and he was working right up to the very end. He was in, what, a superhero movie, I think it was called? Yeah, he worked right up to the end. Matter of fact, I read in one of the many obituaries that they did that they were actually planning another Naked Gun movie. Yeah. And he was going to do it. I don't know. I, got, I, gotta I don't be know honest, if that was though. a good idea. Yeah. Because I think that concept had just about run out of steam. Yeah, I got to be honest, though, because at one of those periodic sales that FYE had a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, I picked up the complete Naked Gun box set mm-hmm. for 10 bucks. Right. And they were not as good. They aged very, very badly. And you know that supposedly there was an unofficial ban due to the O.J. Simpson. Uh-huh. You didn't see him on TV right. for a long time. TBS used to run them yeah. relentlessly. It's very brutally, brutally obvious how set in their time they are. Which is, I think well, is the, the first problem. one is pretty funny. It's nowhere near as funny as the TV show. You know what's always to be the funniest part of all these movies? What? You know at the beginning where they have the police car yeah. going, da, 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 and it goes to all these weird things? Well, my favorite part of the TV show was never in the movies, and I always was disappointed by that. What's that? Which was the snitch that Drebin had. The shoeshine kid guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Frank would come up and go, okay, what do you know about blank? He's like, I don't know nothing. And I would yeah. come the money, Russell, Russell, Russell. Uh-huh. And he would go on at great lengths about the subject. Then he would leave, and then some celebrity of the week would come on. Like, one week it was Dick Clark going, Hey, Jimmy, I need some more of that special youth cream you have. Yeah. I don't know yeah. nothing. Russell, right. Russell. Russell, he, Russell, yeah. He'd, like, reach into his, 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 his some of this little, like, can of cold cream. He'd just start going, slathering it yeah. on. Doc Joyce Brothers was no Doc Joyce Brothers, But right. they never used that character. I was very disappointed. Oh, man. Yeah. So I guess we should get to... We should get to a couple uh, of thank yous. And this the thank you. The 100 episode five-year journey. Let me um, see who I can think of off the top of my head. We should thank Desmond Reddick. Of course. The first family mm-hmm. of Better in the Dark. And it's his kids that you always hear on right. the outro. Go watch that movie. And he's got a thing that he's been doing for the last couple of months, which I want to plug called Married to Movies. Married to Movies. He's doing that with his wife. With his wife, Megan. Who, well, she's never been on the show, but if you listen to this Dread Media and every once in a while she'll guest host that. We have to have her on here talking about will, chick flicks. There you go. She will go and she'll say, go see that movie when she signs off. So, um, Des obviously has been a present 
since here. He's done a lot of voicemail. A number of people, actually, have just been very loyal listeners and a lot of input. John Drushi and the whole gang over at the Chronic Rift. Right. He's a regular contributor to our message boards. And right. he never fails to pat us on the back and say he's doing a great job, guys. And you guys should also give a listen to the Chronic right. Rift as well. It's a wonderful podcast. Eric Stoner of the Dark Hours. Right. I'm very disappointed we don't hear any more. We haven't gotten another one since. That email that he did with was all produced with all the different sound clips. Yeah, I that. remember. Yeah. There's a whole production number in itself. As far as I was concerned, we can stop the show yeah. after the email. Uh, <laughs> after the voicemail. All, of the, all of the, the heavy participants in our message board, Ed, Jay, who you heard earlier today. Yeah. Dino. Yeah, Dino Pollard. Ed does some great reviews of 70s movies. Yeah, fantastic. That, that are exclusive yeah. only to the Better in the Dark message board at Better in the Dark. That's right. That's the only way you. That's the only way you're going to read them. Really smart writing. A lot of cool stuff there. Who else can we think? Well, it's our various guest hosts that we've had throughout the years, actually. The year. Kalen, Donovan, Morgan Grant. Yeah. We briefly mentioned Kevin McIntyre. We already mentioned Des. Mm-hmm. Who else have we had? Uh, Eric Frome. Eric Frome. And, of course, Michael David Sims. And speaking of Michael David Sims, of course, we want to also thank Michael and the associated people at Earth2.net. The entire Earth2.net family of podcasts yes. is want to thank them as well. Russ Anderson, yes. as always, his wife, Trelina, and their new baby, Jasmine, who's mm-hmm. not so new. She just had her first had a year birthday. Happy birthday, Jasmine. Morning. Doug Bookie. Yes, Doug, who is our editor at Altered Visions. James Hickson had mentioned the Avengers stuff that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. We want to thank my wife, Patricia Carrasol Ferguson. For who, putting up with us and feeding us fish. Who puts up with this great insanity every... Because after you leave, I'll go, she said, what were you guys talking Talk about? about? <laughs> we actually had a hooker sneak in through the back door. And actually, we're going to have her on as a guest host. On the Denzel? Well, it's either going to be the Denzel. Oh, no, it's, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. Or the Leonardo DiCaprio, right. yeah. Because she's a, a big Leonardo DiCaprio fan. And she's always asking me, well, did you do an episode yet? Did you? Mm-hmm. I said, no, we haven't done it yet. And I asked her one day, I said, well, you want to sit in on it? And she said, really? I can do that? Well, yeah. why not? So look forward to that in the coming year. So many other people who follow us on Facebook and contribute to our Facebook, like Jay Cleaver. Yeah, Jason Cleaver. Thank um, you, Jason. Like Marjorie. All these great people who are all the different podcasters who love and support us. I was listening to a recent Joffrey Street thing, Mm -hmm. and they were joking about alternate universes where they're doing different podcasts. And Q-Dog actually did, this is Q-Dog, and welcome to Better in the Dark. (laughs) (laughs) An alternate world version of Yes. I love it. The Joffrey Street crew who did Cool Shot on the Tube and all those other great podcasts. The Drunken Zombie crew. We mentioned Movie About Girls earlier. All these great, great Great. Polo One. Minute. Oh, sure. Of course, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Right. Michael Bailey's podcast, of course. Uh, Joel McCrory. Right. Eric Broughton. Mm-hmm. Matteo Spencer. Thank yes. you. We've already mentioned Dino, who also... Right. Perry Constantine, that's his real name. Right. Jonathan Gronley. Right. Jesse Garrett. Ian mm-hmm. Wilson was on. Right. Michael, we thank Ryan Wilson. Ryan Wilson. Ryan Dukes. Right. And his brother Stacy. The Ride. Kenneth McIntyre. Michael Franzoni. Right. Guy, fan fiction writer that mm-hmm. we've known for years. Stacy Dukes. Steve Steinbach. Oh, Ben Rush. Ben is a frequent contributor to our fan fa- on Facebook. Right. Glenn Walker. Neil Morgan. My friend slash enemy, David Swig. Yeah. <laughs> who, went, from April to September, we're the best of friends because, of course, we both root for the Boston Red Sox. But come September, we're the worst of enemies. Absolutely. You got to keep that going. Tom Moses. 
Jimmy uh, Big Boy Mathis, Big Boy Ma- Travis Gray, Mark Basquet, Damian Crawford, George Hatched, James Dye, Robin Joe Townsend, Joshua M. Reynolds, Glenn Gilman, we've already mentioned Don Paul Caniff, Walter Bonham, my good friend Walter, be sure to check him out on Burning Comics. Kelly Logue, we the, can't, we the cannot, master of the webpage. We cannot ever mention him too much. Eugene McElrath. Michael Seguin. Michael Young. Stephen Z. Longcott. If I've messed that up, I'm sorry. Klaus Kinski. Christopher Clayton. <laughs> she knows it. I have such a crush on this woman. Who's that? Holly Angle. She's gorgeous. Who's Holly Angle? She is a person I used to be on Movies About Girls with. She's Ooh. from Canada. She, I'm sorry. She is just absolutely stunning. And wow. I think she's a lot of fun. I tried to get her to come on with us, but maybe I creeped her out. No, wipe up that drool on right. the table. Corin Ennis. Ken Reihard. Patrick Morley. Brad Wooldridge. Will Smith. <laughs> well, Will Smith, of course, the other part of the Gentleman's yeah, guy. Yeah, but I know what people are thinking about. Will yeah. Smith. <laughs> David Shaver. Ken Caston Huber. Matt Conigna. Alex Bannister. I, I really screwed that one up, I know. We apologize. Aaron Ross. Aaron Bentley. Glade Packer. Austin Beatty. Hannah Kruger. Damian Wilkins. James Doe. And Ben Rogers. These are the people in our neighborhood, so to speak. Yes, and we want to thank each and every one of them because, as we keep saying and we cannot say it enough, this podcast would not exist without you, and you are the people that are so good as to make us feel good by making us think that we know what we're talking about. (laughs) That's right. People wonder sometimes when a podcast comes up and it only does like five or six episodes. A lot of the times it's because they don't have love. That's true. They get bored because they don't, but then when you find people like yourselves who love and support them, it grows and becomes what this is. Absolutely. A hundred hours or more of you and I talking crap. (laughs) And people actually listening. Yes. So, So, that brings us to the end of episode 100. And it's been a wonderful episode, and it's been a wonderful ride. It was great talking to everybody. I wish we could have gotten a chance to talk to everyone. Well, some of you will be getting in touch with, as far as coming back again, being guest hosts. We've got a lot of stuff we got coming up in 2011. We've got to get it all in before the world ends in 2012. Yeah, yeah, true that. (laughs) So, I guess it's time for the administrative, right? Yeah, let's take care of the administrative. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you love us, if you us. I have to assume if you've been listening to us for 100 episodes, you probably are the former rather than the latter. There are a number of ways you can reach us. You can send us an email at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join our message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Mm-hmm. You can join the Facebook page. Just go on to facebook.com, look up Better in the Dark, and join us. Join the movement. <laughs> you can follow both Derek and myself. Just look for our names and add us, and Ask we will have you become our friend. Become our friend. And you can also become a friend of Dexter the Rage Kitty, but that's another story for another time. We all need friends. That's right. You can... Live journals. Live journals. We each have live journals where we talk about movies and other things. Derek's is Derek Ferguson's Notebook. And Tom's is Space Monkey Mafia. You can also, if you want to help us out, check out the good folks at PulpWorksPress.com, where there are lots of really great pulp-inspired novels, as well as Derek's series of movie reviews. That's right, Derek Ferguson's Movie Review Notebook and The Return of Derek Ferguson's Movie Review Notebook. 
Also, I'm sure Derek would want us to let you know you should check out allpulp.com, a blog about all things pulp, this ever-increasing pulp culture. Just to show you what you're missing, if you're not checking out all pulp already, guess what is on there today? Um, An interview with Chuck Dixon. Oh! Yes, at all pulp. And coming soon. And I know since you're a great, great fan of this great, great writer, you're going to be very interested in this. We're going to have an interview with the widow of Robert B. Parker. Ah. So, folks, if you haven't been checking out All Pulp, you better get on. Get on board. You better get get on board. Yeah, we ain't playing. And as James Hickson mentioned, Derek and I both are fiddling around in the Marvel Universe at Mm ultravisions.org. Fanfiction site where Tom is writing Avengers West Coast. And Derek is taking care of the East Coast brand. We we control the premier super team in the Marvel Universe. We're running things over there. That's right. And it's just a lot of fun. We got some wacky crap coming. I have to tell you about what I got planned for the Bring on the Bad Guys promotion. Oh, okay, cool. I guess that's it. That's it. Five years are in the book. Thank you, Tom, for five years. Thank you, Eric, for joining me on this journey. This has kept me off the streets. That's right. And you don't want Derek on the streets. No, you don't want me on the streets. You kick your your ass. Not with your wives and daughters. Yes. But... As always, and we're going to end not usually with our usual bombastic, but very humbly and very reverentially and with all the love in the world, we would just like to say thank you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. And go see that movie. What he said, go see that movie. Good night. God bless. I'm in the phone with this You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to all our listeners throughout the years, all the many podcasters who supported us, all our Facebook and Live Journal followers, Eric Frome, and of course the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark has finished its five-year mission. But just like in those Star Trek movies, we're the only podcast in the area of the latest filmic abomination, so we're kind of sticking around. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.bitdsite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.b-hyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright. Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that you are as important an element of this podcast as the two of us. Wiser fellow than myself once said, Sometimes you eat the bar and much obliged. Sometimes the bar will eat you. <laughs>